see what love got to do with this. Huh? Yeah, I don't know, but um, you know what love is. Say it with me one time. You know what love is. Three is on some love tip, y'all. You know what love is. See the S is on some love tip. You know what love is. Three is on some love tip, y'all. You know what love is. Three is on some love tip. You know what love. She said I wanna be down with the ass I said certainly let me taste your splendorness Bustin' the fur girl you were scandalous Your fragrance got me losing consciousness Your stance got me unbuckling my fucking pants Spending clubs with finance on a two dollar romance Take this dick to the tip Get a leg, tell a bitch The ass is the shit so eat a dick you need to just give me a click so I can get nasty like an old porno flex Oral sex got me caught up in the coward bliss To Cedric as I drop this dick between the tits, yes You know what love is Yes, you know what love is It is January 5th, 2021 and a little later than usual, but Timothy, here we are for the top 50 wrestlers. And not of 2020, like we usually do for our year end festivities. But we are doing the top 50 wrestlers of the decade that was the 2010s. Timothy, how are you this evening? Oh, I'm doing good. Not, uh, I won't say that I'm not looking forward to it, but, uh, definitely, uh, trepidatious about the situation but thank you for having me on your podcast uh, quentin um again what is this is this the fourth year um 2016 17 18 19 this will be the fifth year huh jesus um, yeah fuck yeah. yeah good good for us um so yeah we are uh we are back i am doing okay i am uh I, I was trying to remember, I was like, we had talked about doing a 2010s list, in, like, interstitially in between before 2020 turned into what it was, and I was like, did I agree to it and say, but say, like, we we're going to do a shorter list than 50, or a longer, I can't remember. I, I, I think I think so, we had talked about it, and then we thought about doing maybe, like, a top 20, kind of. Yeah, I think we had said that, but then I, like, just was going to ne- never bring it up again and just see if we could just get away with never doing it, and then 2020 turned into what it is, and so here we are. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Timothy's kind of alluding to it here, and the reason why I decided to do decade stuff, and this will apply to the top 100 matches as well, we will be doing a top 100 matches of the 2010s at some point, and... You know, it needs no explaining, really. 2020 was fucked up. 2020, not just in terms of life for millions of people all across the world and how things impacted them and just the mental grind living in a really stressful uh, point in history. And that's not even mentioning being an American in 2020 and having to, having to deal with the most contentious election that most of us will ever have in our lifetimes in wrestling. It was really fucked up and a lot of changes had to be made across major promotions and smaller promotions sometimes couldn't even run. Uh, and that left me in a position where I was, there was still wrestling in which I could enjoy, but I'd be lying to myself and I feel like Timothy would be lying to himself and Brock would be lying to himself. If we could honestly say that we could come on here 
for nine to 12 hours of content between those podcast specials and say, there's 50 wrestlers in 2020 that I was passionate about, or there's a hundred matches in 2020 that I was passionate about. We, it just, it just wouldn't be the truth. It wouldn't make for the best audio that I feel like me and Tim or me and Brock could offer. And seeing as how the 2020s, I mean, the 2010s were done. This was, this was just the logical step. I felt like in order to keep the tradition going and keep, and still have something fun for the end of the year, but not force ourselves to talk about something that we really don't have much interest in. Would that be a good way of summing, of summing it up, Tim? Yeah, I mean, it was serendipitous. It really worked out perfectly because, yeah, it was the first year of the new decade and it didn't make any sense. So we had this giant idea and concept that we had already talked about doing. And it was like, oh, well, we've kind of got the time to do it. And yeah, like, could I put together a top 50 wrestlers of the year list? Yes. Would I be, like, super confident about it? Probably not. Because to my mind, like, 2020 was the worst possible year for wrestling. I mean, there's just no way around it because the stuff that I care about, if you've listened to these lists for the past five years at this point, like, the stuff that I care about didn't exist this year. The only fucking American indie company that existed, really, was, like, GCW. You know? And it's just like, fuck me. Like, not, on top of just the fact that, like, I don't much care for it, there was a lot of bad there. And then it's like, European indies didn't really exist for most of the year. There's like, there is some decent stuff at the beginning of the year, but then how are you making a list on three, four months of content? Yeah, you're, 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 making, you're making a list off of three months of work. There's some good Japan, and I would have had, like, some Japanese wrestlers, some wrestlers from Japanese promotions that maybe wouldn't have made my list in another year. Could have made the top 50, because there was some good stuff happening in Japan, but also yeah, that was, like, the like, only wrestling. Yeah, like, Takuya Nomura and, like, Fuminori Abe would have, like, done really well. Yeah. <laughs> for, and like, they Would have done really well for that, yeah. Which, actually, I was going to say, shout out, if you want 2020 list stuff, to Joseph uh, Montesilios, uh uh Montesio, Montesio i can't remember Mont- Montesio, yeah yeah um his list that he posted up on his youtube really it was really good and yeah speaking of the astronauts they were his tag team of the year and well deserved um i mean i i think they would probably be my tag team of the year as well it's like realistically it's a toss-up between them and nautilus which were also his two top teams so hey go figure um but yeah i mean Tons of great wrestling in DDT, obviously. Like, there'd be stuff to talk about there. Noah had some good... I mean, Noah had a really good wrestler. Maybe two really good wrestlers. Through, um, through, sheer, through sheer attrition. Like, you know, yeah. like, you know, as much as, as much as people may, may be down on it compared to previous years, like, New Japan's going to have the good matches. Like, yeah. no matter how invested you're in it, New Japan is going to f- have some good matches. Yeah, there was definitely a lot to like in New Japan this year. But, uh, yeah, then it also comes down to, like... Should any promotion be running at all, even in 2020, right? So, yeah. what's the promotion of the year? I don't know. What's wrestler of the year? Chris P- Hero, PWG. wrestler of the year. <laughs> PWG. <laughs> yeah, right? PWG. That's that's The PWG thing is so funny to me, because it's like, PWG couldn't have ran if they wanted to. It's not as if there's a place in LA that would let them run. Like Yeah, uh, California absolutely would not have yeah. fucking allowed that. <laughs> I mean, GCW ran some shows on fucking like an Indian reservation in Orange County. Orange County's fucking nuts. Orange County, you're not a, you're not required to wear a mask even still right now. Like, 
whatever <laughs> like you know like maybe they could have got away but la is not the same as orange county they would have not, they just could not have run anything in la so i mean give them credit they didn't run any shows but i mean it's not as if excalibur isn't on fucking uh aew every week so oh yeah speaking of you know aew like aew oh, yeah. has has had like has had a good year a very a very good year i would say and still yeah. like I, it's just not enough that i'd feel good about putting out a top 50 list no like, I want so badly to, to say, like, oh, A.J. Gray is wrestler of the year. But he just doesn't have it. He doesn't have the case. Like, he has matches. He has a lot of matches that I really like. And I think he deserves it this year. I think he broke out in a big way. He had a lot of great stuff. He did death matches. Like, you know, he spread his, his wings a little bit trying different things. But realistically, I can't really make the argument. Just because it's such a small sample size. It's, like, insane. So... It's like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't really want to do a list where I'm like having people like that, where I'm like, where do I even place him? Because if this had been a normal year, he would have probably been my wrestler of the year. Right. But because of the way the year went, now I have to figure out where he makes sense. Nothing makes sense at that point, because like in my mind, he's still like a wrestler of the year caliber guy, but he's really not. So it's just kind of, it's like that kind of stuff would make it almost impossible to do a list that would feel that I'd feel good about afterwards. Not that I'm going to feel great about this list afterwards, mind you, but, uh, but at least, uh, at least I'll feel a little bit better about this list. Oh yeah. So let's, let's get back to the, the crafting of our 2010s list. I want to be perfectly clear here. It is a list of 50 wrestlers. <laughs> I don't feel good about a lot of the wrestlers that I had to cut in order to make this list. So, Anyone that you've heard me talk about in the past and how much I love, trust me, I still love them all the same. But as I was going through making a top 50 list that represented the entire decade of the 2010s and just what I liked the most and what stuck with me the most in the 2010s, people naturally had to get cut. Um, off rip, uh, I'll state two of my cuts that are recent and ones that I that I really wasn't happy about making or I can give you I'll give you four my list will not feature Echisero it will not feature Casey. it will not feature Mayu Iwatani it will not feature Bailey huh and I guess you can you can throw Ky- you can throw Kyrie Sane in there as well it will right, not right. it will not feature any of them yeah which I mean, like, Bailey didn't cross my mind, but she could have. But, you you know, you mentioning her there, it's like, oh, okay, she maybe could have. Um, Carrie Sane as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are big cuts. Fuck, now, now you got me thinking, and I'm looking at my list, and I don't think I listed a single female wrestler, and I feel really bad about that. Yeah, like, you, like this fucking sucks. But it is also that, like, I'm trying to do the decade, and, like, I don't know, in 2010s, women's wrestling was pretty fucking dire. Like, in 2010... Like, I mean, yeah, there was not, there's not a lot of women who had a real full decade, you know? Oh, yeah, it's, uh, I, mean, I just, I just realized another one. Um, again, like, I'm, I'm a big proponent of this style, and it's interesting I don't have them, but I don't have Drew Gulak. Yeah, me neither, actually, and that's a, yeah, yeah he's a guy who... Probably should make the list. There's probably somewhere I could have fit him in here. But as I look over, I'm like, oh, God, do I really need that guy? But, um, yeah, actually, maybe I will call a little bit of a mulligan here. Good, good oh, shout. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I 
All right. Well, do you do you have any notable any notable uh, cuts? I mean, on your on your fifty. Notable, not really. Um, I should have saved my cuts. I fucking cleared everything out. Now that I look at my list, I don't oh, even have my, my cuts listed. I, I made a grave mistake here. Um, but yeah, I mean, none that I can think of. None that are worth mentioning right now. Um, yeah. Alright. With that being said, for those of you that have been, that have listened to previous installments, when it was just a year, one of those, a year in review kind of thing, uh, you know the criteria which we usually have there is a lot there is in-ring basis that is like the chunk of it and then we also you know like you know configure it into our own personal tastes and views of wrestling that go beyond work in the ring so just keep just keep that in mind as well that while i do think these are the best wrestlers of the of the 2010s it's also the people who when i think of the 2010s of the decade these are people that i'm going to think of Definitely. There's definitely something to that. And I think, like, we'll get to it on the, the final episode, but I had had a kind of a conversation with you on past about this project, about, that, like, Timothy Thatcher and how, like, because of his feeling so ubiquitous throughout the decade, having so many chance, you know, interactions throughout the decade, like, he felt like a guy who deserved the number one spot for that. So, you know, that may or may not have came to be, I'll say, um, which might be giving it away already. But like that concept and that idea, exactly what you said, like the person who in- embodies the decade, the person who was there for the big moments of the decade, even if like there is not a singular big moment, like a- an example that I- comes to mind is like I had mentioned with Thatcher, where it was like um, Fit Finley touring the indies and-, and having one-off matches with random people. Like Thatcher is one of those people, like someone who's involved in like happenings like that throughout the decade. Um you know that kind of stuff ends up happening uh or having importance on like placement there like like the biff music versus thatcher match that happens in beyond like those beyond secret shows and then like kind of that growing and blowing up is like something that would would help like me to think of them as a wrestler of the decade on the list you know what i mean because that kind of stuff ended up being important in in the overall narrative of the decade all right, with all with all the housekeeping stuff out the way, Timothy, are you ready to go? Oh yeah, and we're still doing like a tag teams have can have one spot. Um, yep. I, I assumed yep. so. Just so yep, people exactly know. that was the so that no. was a rebel that was a you know that was a revelation I had today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, I don't think I have. I think I have maybe one tag team, but they are remarkably high. So we can uh, yep. get started if you like. All right. Well. My number 50, to kick us off, my number 50 is Finn Balor. Okay. Um, did not make my list. I can definitely see why he made your list, especially when you talk about importance. But uh, I'll let you give the case. I feel like Finn Balor, we talked about it before on the weekly show, but Finn got into a space where he was somehow underrated and overrated at the same time. And... I feel like that that affected his perception for a lot of people. But at no point was Finn Balor ever the best wrestler in the world. He was maybe like the hottest prospect, for sure. Maybe like the person had like a had a, had a ton of upside for what they could be in terms of a star. But at no point was Finn Balor ever the best wrestler in the world. That doesn't mean that Finn Balor was ever not a really good wrestler. Or that he ever, at, at any point in his career, was he not a very good wrestler? So, if we go all the way back 
to the early 2010s in the Apollo 55 tag team with Reisuke Taguchi and the various singles matches and IWGP junior title matches that 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 Balor, that Balor was in, everything is great. Everything about that rules. The stuff the stuff with the with the Motor City Machine Guns is awesome. And it's like that for the bulk of his run. Then as we get transitioned to the Bullet Club, yeah, it's a lot of antics, but you're still seeing someone that can produce high quality stuff like the Alex Shelley Best of the Super Juniors Finals in 2013 or the Gato match from Kazuna Road and just other fun stuff he was doing. And yeah, that gets lost in terms of like uh you know, Captain you know, Captain Folk in New Japan and like other funny stuff that was ha- that was happening in that in that company at that time and just how cool the Bullet Club was to a port to a to a, a wider portion of the Western audience. But he was still doing good work. He's still been a good wrestler that entire time. And he gets to WWE and Again, like he he comes in twenty no twenty uh twenty late twenty fourteen but twenty fifteen comes in and knocks it out the park for the most for most of the year and is having good match good matches up and down the roster and I feel like that and I feel like that continues for a while there debut debuts on debuts on Raw and the Seth Rollins match at SummerSlam was dog shit but the, when he debuts that four way or triple threat whatever he debuts in and then that same night facing Roman Reigns he is great and. Who knows what have, what a universal title run would have spelled for him, but he comes back. His he's becomes he becomes a pretty good TV worker working working with working with the Intercontinental Title and is having pretty good matches on Raw every week. Has one of the has a really good Brock match. One of the one, like you know Brock is someone that usually hits and usually delivers a really good match. But if someone said that's their favorite Brock match of the return, I wouldn't argue with you. It's really good. And when I look when I look back at at the twenty tens, obviously, what could have been in New Japan will always linger in some people's minds. What Prince what Prince Devitt could have been if he didn't leave? The, the, you know what they have planned for him. Who knows what would have happened? But I know I see a guy that that was at the forefront of the New Japan Western expansion, and. If people don't people don't view it that way or don't or don't want to believe it now, a guy that's always been a really good wrestler, maybe not the best, maybe at no maybe at, at no point was he ever the best. Will he ever be the best? But he was a guy that through the entire decade, when he wasn't injured, was giving you good to great performances as a heel, a face, a singles guy, and a tag team main events, TV matches, whatever it was, and he always delivered. Yeah, I mean, you hit everything there. Um, one of the maybe never the best wrestler, but the hypest wrestler at times, the buzziest wrestler at times. The, I mean, his signing was one of the first of kind of this the new what became the new era of the really buzzy indie guys signing to NXT. Um, and I think that that gets lost in the shuffle. And I guess he wasn't indie, right? Because he was coming pretty much directly from New Japan, but. I, w- I would say the biggest signings were hey, like you know in terms of like if we're like going through the last decade the biggest signings were him and Steen. Yeah, and he was the one that was like everyone was talking about it. He did the tour of the Indies, the tour of the world before he left, you know, and it was rumors and all this stuff. Like he really started what became the thing. 
before that, a lot of times people would get signed and it was like, you didn't really talk about it and you might get one big farewell from their, at their home promotion or PWG and their home promotion. If there were a PWG guy primarily would be the places that you would get like a, just a one match that was like a farewell post promo match. And then that was it. But this was like, everyone knew he was leaving. Everyone was talking about it. He was showing up at different places, you know, doing the, the big paint thing. And it was a, it was a big deal. So I can definitely see the buzz around him and that buzz and that star power did not disappear and dissipate when he went to WWE, which is like pretty shocking because a lot of people, they get all that fanfare and then they show up and it amounts to nothing. He continued to be a big star and continues to be a big star to this day to where they, you know, even though they put him down to or sent him back to NXT or whatever, like it didn't feel like a huge downgrade to him. And he kept his star power and his buzz. And I think that people, pay attention to NXT for him. Not people like me and you, but I think that there are people who started to pay attention to NXT because Finn Balor was there. Maybe they had paid attention to it before and they had just like lost interest and they went back to it because of him being there or maybe they're new fans of it because of him being there. But I do think that he was a big part of getting people interested in the brand again. So definitely a good one. Uh, My number 50, um, I won't say a vanity spot, but a little bit of a uh, memorial spot. Um, but I won't say completely a handout, a guy who was not on my list and then, um, obviously passed away, but number 50 for me is Brody Lee, um, which I wanted to set the tone after kind of my list last year where I had no WWE people. I'm not going to be able to do a whole decade without WWE people. Um, so that was part of it too, but, um, just going back through his career with what everyone was talking about with him passing away and everything that's been going on, um, he was fucking great. I mean, early 2010s, we get a couple years of him on the indies um, before he goes. And I think when you talk about Balor never being the best wrestler, I think that there might have been times where, like, Brody Lee could have been one of the best wrestlers on the planet. And, like, his final years on the indies before he left, he was, you know, kind of his biggest picture stuff going on was in Dragon Gate. So, like, he wasn't... I don't know. At that time, I don't necessarily know that a lot of people were paying as much attention to Dragon Gate in America. Um, there was obviously still people who were, but not as much as there are even now. Um, so I think that like some of his really good work rate stuff towards the end of his indie run gets overlooked. Um, but you even look at one of his final matches on the indies before going to WWE in the Grand Championship match with uh, Eddie Kingston is phenomenal. And he has uh, the match with Fire Ant the night before that's also great. It's like even up until... Right before he goes to WWE, he's having fa- he's doing fantastic work, um, and then he does go to WWE, and it's like you could say it's a almost a decade of like being written off. But I mean that Wyatt family bullshit like does not work without Brody Lee. And there was a time when the Wyatt family was a hot act that people were excited about, and not just for the promo bullshit, but for the matches. And it was Brody Lee. I mean, Eric Rowan, I. I am not like an Eric Rowan truther who like says that he's good or anything, but he got a lot better and, and you can point to one thing and that's working regularly with Brody Lee right next to him is how he got better. Um, because you can see from the beginning to the end, the market improvement of Eric Rowan as a wrestler from picking up and learning from Brody Lee, but Brody Lee was phenomenal the whole way through. Um, really the workhorse of the entire unit, all three members, um, Bray Wyatt was able to have some good matches early on, but realistically, Brody Lee, I mean, he can work big or he can work with big people and small people. He's not a person who works small. He's a giant and he always works like a giant, but he can he can mix it up with with 
anyone really. Um, phenomenal bass, great power guy, uh, massive charisma, which it's fucking bullshit that kind of like again that his career kind of got sidelined by, by you know Vince's bullshit or whatever. But uh, like I mean yeah, it just really great. One of these like mid card workhorse guys who just constantly in WWE put out phenomenal showings. Um, even just the the quick intercontinental title run had some good stuff there, even though it was like maybe a week and just yeah, just really mired and basically not doing a lot, but constantly like high level performances out of him. Um, just anytime that he was in a match, he was easily the star of the match. Um, unfortunately, that's because of a lot of times because of who he's wrestling. But uh, but yeah, just wanted to uh, give the shout out to Mr. Brody Lee. And, uh, and just kind of, uh, yeah, he had a really solid career there that I think it's completely overlooked. All right. Just to piggyback off you, uh, talking about someone who by all accounts was a very good human being. I want to at least put out there right now, there are some people who are on my list that might not be very good human oh, beings. Oh, good point. Yeah. I meant to, I meant so, for us to say that before we even started, but yes, go ahead. Yeah. There might there's people on my list. That, there's a couple people on my list who might not be very good human beings. Um, I will do a courtesy of giving a warning whenever they're coming up, and if you decide to skip over them or listen or, or to another podcast completely after hearing this, then that is perfectly fine. But just for future reference, there are some people who might not be great human beings on my list. Um, with that being said, we can move on. Uh, my number 49 is Akira Tozawa. Okay, I've got him uh, higher, but we'll talk about him tonight. Um, All right, cool. I'm, I, I am honestly surprised that you have Tozawa higher than me. Oh, man, I I loved Tozawa a lot early on. You know, I just... I, 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 I did too, but it's like... I guess we talk, like, it's it's hard when, like, he effectively just didn't exist. Right, right, <laughs> right. But, I mean, he's another one where you could maybe argue he was the best wrestler on the planet there for a little bit, or at least one, yeah, that's one of the better Yeah, that's very, ones. very fair. I mean, now you're like, when you say that, I could have had him higher, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> I only have him a little there. bit a little bit higher. 49, you talked about him. You brought him up. You reminded me. Drew Gulak. Um, I mean, fucking hell. Like, okay, okay. Go who, who got cut in favor of Drew Gulak? Uh, homicide. Wow, okay, you had homicide on your list. Yeah, okay. I and that was why he was an easy cut, because I was just kind of like, ah, you know. Feels a little bit too like hand like homicide did have some good stuff in the 2010s. Don't get me wrong, um, but obviously it's not as good as he was in the 2000s. And, and they're uh, kind of like looking, they're kind of like looking at him. You're like, uh, like do, do I do I really have homicide yeah. on this list? Not yeah. Gulak. <laughs> it's like Gulak is better. Um, Gulak had a better 2010s. I'll say. Uh, fuck, Gulak is better in general. I don't know what I was even thinking. He didn't he didn't cross my mind. But it's another one where it's like he's been in WWE for a few years, so I'm not even thinking about him that much. But yeah, I mean, um. Basically, like, one of the best heels in all of wrestling for, I mean, for most of the decade, really, when it comes to, like, the scuzzy, like, underground of, of American indies. Um, phenomenal healing, like, CZW, obviously, um, Beyond, and then Evolve, doing great heel work there. But never, like, never really has to be a cheating heel. He, like, does this really interesting kind of, you know, roughneck, asshole, but basically wrestles by the book technical wrestler you take a couple little shortcuts here and there but nothing too crazy um amazing gimmick match worker which i think gets overlooked obviously because when you work in somewhere like czw pretty regularly like uh 
you're not gonna in your in your <laughs> gulak you're not gonna be thought of as a gimmick match guy um with all the craziness and the death matches going on but um unfortunately we won't mention his brother but he may be uh known a little bit more for for doing some of that stuff um but yeah i mean like phenomenal gimmick match worker in in the context of like a doing a like a, a hard-nosed fight uh i can't remember what the what it was called but the like that match that he had with thatcher with the with the bare boards um like something like that in evolve where he does like a gimmick match in a uh in a promotion that's not known for gimmick matches and he can always bring up the intensity um and then like on top of all that like one of the best heels in all of wrestling is drew gulak throughout the decade he's also throughout the decade being like a phenomenal baby face and as the leader of the the colony um so it's kind of like damn like this guy really can't do it all i mean you have to put the mask on or whatever but he was able to work completely different style um when it comes to being like a baby face it didn't come across at all like uh like the same guy and then honestly i mean it's it's probably an argument for why like just wearing a hood is a, is good in general and more guys should just do stuff like that because you don't have to deal with like getting mixed up between the characters like mm-hmm. you you know the baby face uh soldier ant and the heel drew gulak and you can just when you need to be a healer or baby face you either have the mask or you don't and it's pretty simple so it works pretty well um but yeah i mean great matches out there constantly with the likes of like biff Busick, timothy thatcher obviously um but then also can have like yeah hard-nosed fights with guys like sammy callahan um so yeah just a guy all in all who i think really great and then he shows up in wwe and like still fucking rules has a great match with daniel bryan even when he's not really getting featured very much has great matches throughout the cruiserweight classic um anyone he gets thrown in there and gets a chance to work obviously he continues to have great matches so it's just kind of like all-around great worker um just uh yeah phenomenal phenomenal guy really consistent through all of the 2010s um like i said even even when he is in the wwe he still continues to be one of those like tv workhorse guys that you can you can catch and and check him out and see him have some some good some good stuff there um so yeah that's my uh 49 uh yeah love 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 gulak obviously um Maybe if I went and did a little bit more digging into his CZW work, maybe. But like I thought, like you know, I've also never been like a huge Chikara guy. Haven't done like the big giant deep dive into Chikara. <clears throat> so if someone had Gulak and maybe even had him higher, obviously, obviously I wouldn't begrudge them because you know if you can if you can make the case for it, then go right then go right ahead. You know, like he he has more than enough career to go ahead and make the case. Yeah, no, definitely. And, I mean, if you're not a CZW or, or Chikara person, that's, like, a big chunk of his career. So, I can definitely see. I mean, but I didn't even have him on the list until you mentioned him. So, whatever. Um, My number 48, I have Asuka. Well, Kana slash Asuka. Um, oh, nice. Um, I do not, like I said, I don't have any women on the list, unfortunately. So, I do not have her. But uh, definitely someone who could make it on there. Um, the work in places like, uh, like, like Raina and in and J and, and JWP and like the scattered and the scattered shots that she did everywhere. Um, uh, you know, sometimes wearing a shimmer or Chikara or whatever. She was always awesome. Always ruled what that went wherever she appeared, whether it was like something doing, doing something comedy or, um, having more serious stuff. The Oscar that you see on WWE television has always been there 
it just wasn't you know displayed and put in a spotlight the way the way the way that the way that it should have been but that person has always been extremely talented and always resided in Asuka. This is one of the rare cases where I feel like WWE actually helped somebody. Because you take Asuka and now you put her in this position where you play, where like you drop where you drop her in this NXT women's division where Sasha Bank where Sasha Banks is now gone. Charlotte Flair Charlotte Flair is now gone. Becky Lynch is gone. And it's Bailey and a bunch of other uh, women are there trying to help get over and develop. And you know they weren't they weren't very polished. A lot of them were new to wrestling. A lot of them are people that aren't very good workers to this day. And here comes Asuka, and she just looks like a god among men. She is polished. She knows what the fuck she's doing. She has a personality down pat. Facial expressions, unique look. Asuka just jumps off the page. And immediately, Asuka is uh, in a position where she can win, can, win, can win the NXT Women's title. And even after seeing this long arc of Bailey and how fulfilling it was and seeing her get to, get to have a reign, like, you watch Asuka, it's like, yeah, like, Asuka should beat Bailey. Asuka is too much for Bailey. Asuka should absolutely kill her. And they have two incredible matches. And then that kicks off this this great reign of Asuka as NXT Women's Champion, going on and facing all these different challenge all these different challenges and challengers and trying to use her in order to create create different people and tell different stories. And eventually the story they tell is like, you know, how the bell has consumed Asuka and now she's getting desperate and facing like some Ember Moon. Now she's cheating and doing underhanded things to keep her belt that she wouldn't have done before. And it sucks that we don't get a payoff to that. But it's nice to see like this little character nuance that they do that, that they do that they do with Asuka here, because it's not something that WWE does very often. It's not something that gets done in wrestling very often, where straight up as the, as over the course of time gradually and gradually like here's this more heelish side popping out of somebody and i thought that was told fantastically it's a shame that they didn't just have her lose clean to ember but you know you can't you can't you can't you can't you can't fix that at this point they move oscar up she wins the women's royal rumble and at this point she's on a tear when she when she when she comes up and debuts the tv the tv match with sasha banks when she goes to wrestle when she goes to wrestlemania and has a and has a great match with uh, with, with charlotte the great tv match with bailey she's on a roll and i think that we kind of separate oscar from the best women's wrestler in wwe history category because she's not homegrown she was someone that worked in, in, in other promotions for a very, very long time before coming to WWE. But if you wanted to, Asuka came in and was immediately the best worker they've ever had. She came in, became the biggest star, had the best matches, and to this day, she probably is still... Did she still... Well, I mean, not even know, probably. She's still doing that to this day. And, yeah, I'm, I'm talking more about her Asuka run, but I think that's what takes her over the top. The stuff as Kana is good. It's great. There's a lot of good shit there. If you just look up Kana versus on, on YouTube, there's a lot of really good Kana matches that are all over YouTube. But I think the thing that takes it over the top is that run as Asuka just 
it was something different. That was a star. And that's someone that, if given, you could have done Oscar versus Rousey. Yeah. Honestly. They should You could have done Oscar versus Rousey. And I feel like that's still money left on the table that they didn't run Oscar versus Rousey. And that that's that's the heights I think I think that she reached. And I think that says something that Asuka, for all the things that go against her being a Japanese woman in WWE, that she reached those heights. But Asuka was a fucking star. And I think that and I think that, that really counts for something. Yeah, no, that's uh, definitely a really good point to make there, and I think uh, uh, a regrettable overlook from on my part. But you're so right there. Um, I think that you know the way that she's going to get treated in WWE, unfortunately, hampers the way people view her. But she does come in and is instantly one of the best wrestlers there, if not the best wrestler there, um, and continues to do that to this day. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, there is a lot of great Kana stuff there to d- sink your teeth into, but it is like you're saying, like. That was why she got signed. It was kind of unprecedented at the time that they would even sign her, but she was so undeniably great that it was kind of like, hell yeah, like, we got to get her. Um, And then she's just done nothing but deliver, which is impressive because, like, you can look at the people who they have signed and, like, the major comparison would be, like, Nakamura. He signs and just completely flops. I mean, and theoretically, it should have been the same thing. He should have the charisma and the star power and the work and all this to, to show up and be a big star, but, I mean... He doesn't. Asuka continues to uh, to be one of the most popular and best workers in the company. Um, my 48, I I think you might have him higher, but I'm not 100% sure just because of a short career, but Will Ospreay. I have him a lot higher. Okay. that's That honestly is not incorrect. I can definitely see where you're coming from. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right. My number 47, someone you might have higher. I have Cesaro. I do have him higher, um, uh, uh, a lot as well. Not like insane, but but definitely higher. Um, Forty-seven for me. I don't think you'll have Jeff Cobb. No, no, no Cobb for me. Although I did consider him. Okay, um, I get it, and I am. I have a bit of a, I guess a, uh, a reputation for being a Jeff Cobb guy. Um, even if I think at this point it's, it's clear that I'm not even the highest person on him anymore. He's becoming um, a lot more popular. Um, in general and uh, a lot more people are starting to take notice Um, and I get why because he's finally starting to put it together he's not hitting what I want what I've always wanted but he is definitely um, putting it together but uh, you know luckily you know for me being Southern California California native I've been watching him for quite a long time Um, Early on, like seeing some APW stuff, uh, Premier Wrestling, which I think me and you both loved, kind of where I was started first started seeing him. Uh, then I would see him regularly out here at uh, different, like, eh, what is it, AWS, um, PCW Ultra would bring him out, and then eventually he shows up in PWG. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he, like I said, not exactly, he doesn't work exactly the style I would want, but when he clicks, like, I don't think that there's anybody better at kind of his mix of raw power, um, brute strength bully, and also being an amazing Olympic level technical wrestler. Um, You just don't see that. And then he's got effortless, effortlessly coolness to him, like composure, charisma. I mean, 
he's really got it all when it comes to that kind of like what you would think of as like a overpowered like monster like what does this guy not have right and then what becomes the issue is everyone kind of picks apart his he sells too much he you know he's he doesn't project enough like i the people who i hear obviously i get a lot of it like because i've always been such a big fan of his i hear the the detractors on him and it's i'm kind of like the detractors on him are never like his in-ring quality like you can't say like he's not executing stuff that's amazing constantly um it's the stuff like i said like it's the personality thing maybe people say he's boring um it's kind of a thing that i've noticed i think that some people if they're a little bit too smooth and then kind of come across too much like they're a video game um that sometimes people don't appreciate just how just how crazy what they're doing is um yeah for sure like i like i i can like seeing like certain people live that haven't gotten a chance to see live i saw jeff cobb live a few years ago but even like seeing people like flamita and bandito it was yeah. like holy shit like what they do is unreal especially flamita it's like what the fuck like this like this he, he doesn't feel like a real person sometimes yeah no definitely it was like i saw the zalek zane doing the the running uh 6 30 and it was like what the fuck did i just see that like that's the kind of thing um I always say Ricochet. Ricochet sometimes comes across so smooth. I think people really appreciate him, though, um, because he's got a lot of personality, too. But sometimes I think some of the stuff he does comes across so smooth, people don't realize how good it and crazy it is. Um, And then Artie, Artemis Spencer, I've talked about him in the past, but I think he's another guy who some of the stuff he does, he just does it so good that people don't realize how difficult what he's doing is. Similar thing with Cobb. I mean, this fucking guy can throw anybody around, catch anybody out of the midair, and then he can do a backflip himself. Um, It's just so damn impressive. And and it's like I can definitely see like I said he doesn't he isn't the wrestler that I want him to be but when he clicks and, and he does stuff there's like stuff like that that Zack Sabre Jr. match for the, uh, the Rev Pro title I think about that match constantly because realistically that was the peak of what I would want out of Jeff Cobb constantly like I would wish that he could wrestle that match all the time um, but you got stuff like the interactions that he's had with Matt Riddle in the past and then the tag team that him and Matt Riddle had um and realistically, like for the decade, that's probably some of the the heights of his best work is in that tag team. Uh, their PWG tag team run was was amazing and made both guys bigger stars. Um, probably got Matt Riddle signed, you know. Probably got Jeff Cobb in New Japan full time now. So uh, there was a long period of time there where he was the best wrestler in ROH. Um, there was a period of time there where he was the only thing worth watching in ROH. Really, um, when he would pop up anywhere basically he's usually his matches were worth checking out um goes all over the world wrestles everybody um like again like i said biggest complaints right sells too much um and i i definitely agree that maybe he isn't aggressive enough um doesn't stand up for himself enough and does stuff like gets eaten up by suzuki basically like like, we talked about before like the difference is is that like like jeff cobb is scott steiner but people want him to be vader right yeah, that's exactly. And like, it. And, like, and like for some people, like they just like they see him and see how strong he is. Like, oh, why don't you just throw people and just do like all that shit? And it's like, no, he's like he kind of like he has like a little bit, little, a little bit more to him than just being Vader. He's like kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, he's got that. Yeah, he does have that cool demeanor, and uh, he's kind of chill. And he's also, yeah, I mean, he's also like Scott Steiner. He's a, a amateur style wrestler. Um, but yeah, that's my. Uh, 
47 so what do we got for 46 here Quinn? all right i'm not sure we're gonna have them because you are notably not a lucha guy but i have la park at 46 i do not have la park um this is gonna kick off a run i feel like of four guys so i feel like they're all kind of connected to each other in terms of resume um i mean what's there left what's there to say about fucking la park like big match god um whether it's you know Macias or Triple Mania, the Wagner stuff in twenty thirteen, the Roosh stuff that we get in twenty in twenty uh in twenty sixteen, and uh also you know also later on in the decade, Rush I mean um, I mean Park fucking rules and you it, you know it might have like the meme stuff might have gotten out of hand and people might have gotten turned off by that something but but like Park is awesome always been awesome and it's always been super fun and kind of breathtaking to watch in his own way. Um, seeing Park bleed and get his mask ripped and flip people off and throw chairs, it never gets old. And whether it's a fucking random random tag in Monterey or just well, like or L.A. Park versus fucking Blue Demon Junior, <laughs> like like Blue Demon Junior, who hasn't had a, who hasn't had a good match in ages. L.A. Park puts him in his formula, and it's one of the most fun thing that you'll see. He is so enamoring. He he just reels you in, no matter how like out of it you might be out of wrestling, or how out of it you might be on like how like on social media about wrestling. You put on the L.A. Park match, you are going to be immediately enthralled and have a ton of fun while watching it. And his resume is not the deepest, but again, just do the whole random random YouTube search theory. Just put in L.A. Park and go through whatever you want to from the 2010s from L.A. Park, and you'll have nothing but fun. Bloodbath, his signature tope, chair throwing, wild, crazy atmospheres that only he can generate. There's only one L.A. Park, and a lot of people will have him higher than I do, but. I could I couldn't not have I couldn't not have him on my list. Yeah, he's he's an easy slam dunk candidate, so I can't blame you for having him. Again, it's just I'm I don't delve deep into lucha, um, but uh, yeah, that uh, makes sense. Um, my forty six. Maybe some people would think it's uh, blasphemous that I have him on the list if I don't have L.A. Park, but uh, my forty six. I've got Daniel Macabe. I consider Dan. But I didn't feel good about it not having gone back to look to like look for earlier work. Right. Um, I mean, there's uh, obviously there's not a, a ton there. Um, three to one battle stuff. I think I probably got into watching it like 2016, 2017. Um, he was always like the standout there. I mean, you could probably say that for most of that time he was the best wrestler there. I don't think, at least from the regulars, I don't think that too many people there would even argue um and if they would they're probably lying to themselves um and then i mean he's got like the 2017 18 and 19 where he's got like claims to being the best wrestler on the planet um so i mean that big chunk of time where he's one of the best wrestlers around even if it is a limited like uh amount of matches to me was enough um but yeah i mean just 
the consummate performer like you talk about random youtube and luckily like most of his stuff is on youtube three two and battle stuff is all on youtube i guess if we're going to talk about people that are problematic we could talk about promotions that are problematic um but uh yeah i mean randomly pick up any dan makave match and it might not be the best match on the planet but he's giving you one of the best performances out there um cap kind of this phenomenal run off with this SCI win um, and then go from there into continuing to be phenomenal wins uh, ambition in I think maybe a down year for for popularity but I think an up year for content like one of the best ambitions that I've ever seen and he was the star of it all the way through um, comes close to topping like that Tim Thatcher year of ambition um, realistically for just the quality i mean nothing's gonna beat that tim thatcher for the the pure emotion that kind of came out of it which is interesting to think when you talk about someone like thatcher because people will say he has no personality and shows no emotion but there it was um <laughs> there was a ton of it there uh so yeah like uh yeah just dan makabe like i said big chunk of time where he's possibly the greatest wrestler on the planet just unfortunately not having enough matches um and then as he was starting to have enough matches the world fell to shit so what are we gonna do um, yeah, like I said, like I, said I consider Dan in, he's someone that is kind of similar to someone that I do have on my list a lot, um, you know, in a, in a pretty good spot where so much of their career is in a setting that I guess what you could say isn't professional, um, or what a lot of the early footage in them is, is a thing that isn't, isn't what you, what you would call professional and with that person, I did go back and watch uh, watch that stuff, or like watch the earliest pro footage that was available. And for Dan, I just did not do that. And I have no doubt that Dan is top fifty talent. I just didn't put in the time in order to go back and like making the case for him. Sure. But I, not some, not something I'd argue against, argue against at all. Um, my number forty five. I'm not sure if you're gonna have him higher or have him at all. But my number forty five is Minoru Suzuki. Um, oh shit. I think I meant to have him, but I don't. Yeah, he, All uh, right. he missed. All right. Okay. Um, so, Minoru Suzuki, I had him higher, but I just dropped, I, dro- I dropped him recently just trying to think of resume in the 2010s, and it's, it's, it's going to make more sense when I get to the, when I get to the end of this batch. But again, Minoru Suzuki, even if it's not the most consistent, he has a hell of a case. From the Tanahashi matches in 2012, through like of his various G1 runs, to his 2017, which was really awesome, or 2018, or whatever, whichever it was, that was just a really awesome year for him. And he's someone that I feel like individual performance definitely outweighs how good the how good the total match is a lot of the time. Um even being in there with a fucking scrub like Sonata, I feel like Minoru Suzuki has a really good performance within that within that match. Working with someone that I view as very limited. Um and that's a concept for him that Minoru Suzuki will always give you what you want and what you need. And even and then and then a lot of them, and then sometimes he can hit incredible heights and that can be versus Timothy Thatcher. Uh, that can be versus Okada. That can be versus Tanahashi. That can be, um, facing, that can be facing AJ Styles. That can be facing Kenny Omega. 
that that can come in a in a lit, in a litany of ways, and I feel like he again like the consistency, whatever it is, but he just he always delivers for me what I personally want. The Noah run, I feel like the Noah run got a lot of shit that it didn't really deserve. If I'm being perfectly honest with you, because when I go back and I think about it, I liked all the Mara Fuji matches. I like the Sagira match. I like the I like the Takayama match. I like I like I like the I like the match with Nakajima. Like I like all of that stuff. And yeah, it's not the best. And like there were like and Suzuki Goon all over the cards was like super infuriating and got boring and repetitive. But as far as Minoru Suzuki's matches, as far as Minoru Suzuki's performances, there was nothing wrong with them, and oftentimes he was really good to great in all of these matches, and his great in his in his greatest hits measure up just measure measure up was just about was just about anybody's. So if someone didn't have Minoru Suzuki, I wouldn't really take issue with that. I can totally understand not having him, but for me the dude had the dude hits a lot of the time, and even when the match 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 as a whole isn't the best, you can't tell me that Minoru Suzuki was bad in it. Yeah, I mean, another really quality guy who does have a solid entire decade, basically. Um, not not like a super full, full-time run, um, you could argue, but still, I mean, every time he hits, um, pretty, pretty solid performances from him, even if maybe not the... I don't know how to put it exactly, like, he may not always be the best wrestler, but he's definitely the best at being with Nora Suzuki at all times. Um, always in character, and it's a style of wrestling and a character that I dig, so I get it. Um, was that your 45? Yeah, I'm a 45. 45, alright. My 45 is ACH. I have ACH a little bit higher. Okay. Uh, my number 44 is someone that I'm, I'm going I'm to guess you have higher on. Number 44 is Brock Lesnar. I... Do not have Brock Lesnar at all. Okay. Um, yeah. I just. I guess that might be that might, that might be somewhat of a controversial one, and I know that like you're not a WWE guy, but like Brock didn't have enough to like sneak into your bottom ten here. Uh no. Uh, I mean, I, I was for most of his return run, I've been pretty checked out. Yeah. So okay. it's kind of tough. Uh, if we're if it, like. If this was something where we could also be talking about his first run, I think definitely. Um, but just because like that first run happened in the 2000s, it just doesn't doesn't hit. Um, he's got some stuff there, but just not enough for me. And then some of his most like some of his big heralded stuff doesn't hit for me. Like that Finn Balor match, I think is fine, but uh, not as I don't like it as much as a lot of other people. The AJ Styles match, like people go crazy for, and I just don't really like it that much. Like there's a lot in there that I'm not in love with. Um, stuff like the Cena, the Cena squash, I think like deserves credit for what it did. And I think he executed it really, really well. Um, and there's not a lot of people who could do it at the level that he does, but to me, it's just, it doesn't mean anything, um, too much for making his case for like the decade, but then like his matches with Roman were actually all really good, you know? Um, but like the way people went nuts for the Goldberg match too, like it just, that stuff doesn't make a case for me. It just, it's, he's very good and he, ex he executes it super well, but he makes sense right next to Suzuki. Cause it's a similar thing. Like there's nobody else who can be Brock Lesnar. There's nobody else who can do the Brock Lesnar thing. And he does it perfectly. 
Um, but it just doesn't in the 2010s. It didn't speak to me. The early stuff. I mean, yeah, I would have him the uh, wrestler of the 2010s. I'd have him probably pretty high, but, uh, or the two thousands, but the 2010s, no. Um, there's some lauded Brock stuff that I'm not really like the biggest fan of, like I'm up front and I don't really like the Brock versus Cena 2012 match that much. Like the, the extreme rules match. Well, I, like it's good. It's a very good match. In fact, but the way people talk about it, I don't feel, I don't exactly feel the same way, but, uh, for the most part after that, he is a guy that delivers from, that, that delivers from me. There are, there is a good Triple H match within, within their little series. There is a good, there is a good one, um, that, that exists and that I, and that I, and that I do enjoy, um, the, I guess another outlier here would be the, uh, the match that ended the streak. That's another one I wouldn't really, I didn't really enjoy. But when I go through, uh, the triple threat at the Royal Rumble, uh, the Cena match, the Cena match at SummerSlam, uh, the punk, the punk match at SummerSlam, the Roman WrestleMania match, um, the Undertaker stuff from twenty fifth from, from, from 2015, Styles, Brian, um, even like the, the Samoa Joe, the, the Samoa Joe match and Finn Balor and even, even like I, I would, I will count the Goldberg one from WrestleMania in here. Just, I did really enjoy that on a level that I count it. But when I look at that, this is a guy again, he's not, he's not around often. He's, oh, let's be clear. He is completely overblown, overblown as a star. There's completely overblown yeah. on whatever impact people people think he has made on WWE and whatever WWE tells themselves what kind of impact he has made is completely overblown and not really that and not really ta- and not really tangible on the, on the, on a scale that they pay him. Yeah, I think he has no appeal to like a casual or non-wrestling fan. I think your only appeal for Brock is to people who are already wrestling fans, which means that he doesn't do much to add eyeballs to the product. And I, I I feel all these ways, but again, I like Brock. I've always enjoyed Brock. So when he's doing when he's doing all when he's doing all this stuff, it's not it's not like world changing for me. In my not world changing. He might like his match structures are unique, and I think that and I think and I think that's that's a slang point for a lot of people. But again, I've just always liked Brock. I like what Brock offers. I like Brock's. Aura, like his selling, his selling is fucking world class, and that's the thing, and that's the thing that really, I really think gets undersold by people that even love the, love the guy. Um, but Brock just hits for me more often than not, and when Brock hits, he has some of the best matches of the decade, in my in my opinion, and the majority of his stuff from WWE. If someone had it on the top one hundred list of the best matches of the decade. I wouldn't argue it. And I think there's something to be said there for a guy who wasn't overexposed to the point where like you could say like oh Brock's oversaturated or Brock is this and Brock is that. He comes in when he you know when they when they wanted him to for a big program to set something up and usually usually for the most part you got something good out of it. You got something that you can enjoy out of it. And like I said, not always the best Definitely hindered here by 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 comparing to people who have like who have like full bodies of work, but I enjoyed Brock Lesnar enough as where I could justify him here at forty four. 
Yeah, uh, definitely I can see it. Um, if you're into it, you know, again, not not for me. Um, wait, that was 44? Yeah, that's 44. Okay, I just did something stupid. I can't figure out what. Hold on. Ah, you had ACH at 45. Yeah, no, my, I just I accidentally deleted someone from my list in the middle of it. So <laughs> I just had to, like, uh, undo until I got it back. Uh, so my 44, I don't know if you'll have him higher. Maybe uh, Speedball Mike Bailey. I have him significantly higher. Okay, damn. Um, cool. All right, my number 43 is Beerus. I do not have him. Um, yeah, I just no Lucha at all, so. He would definitely all be right. a guy who might make it on a lucha, on my list if I had any lucha at all. Um, just ends this war and ends this uh, four person run here. Of people who I feel like it's, it's really like kind of like a big like a big match case and just uniqueness. Uh, Virus, not a pushed guy in CMLL, not a really a pushed guy anywhere, but given a chance, given an opportunity, he always knocks it out the park. It doesn't matter who it is, if it's a Tuesday show, if it's a Monday show, a Friday show, whenever the fuck, if you give Beerus a chance, lightning match, title match, whatever, he's going to make the most of it, he's going to deliver, and he's going to be the best guy on the show, probably. That's just how it goes. And that has gone that way for the entire 2010s. It might go that way for the entire 2020s, for all we know, but Beerus is just a guy that delivers at a high level every single time. And you could just go you could just go through whatever Virus title match that you want to. He is the best title match worker that they that they have by a long by a long shot, I would say. Um and even when he get, and even when he when he got a chance to stick his uh teeth into teeth into something substantial with um the hair versus with the uh with the hair versus hair match or hair versus mask match versus uh uh Metallico, you saw Virus get to show a different side of himself that he doesn't really get to get doesn't really get to show very often, and that was like a little bit of a meaner, more aggressive streak than working the more traditional title match style, uh indie shots that he that he gets to do, uh whether it's Lucha Memes or Monterey or whatever whatever smaller stuff, Virus always Virus is always world class in it. And you know, again, this is a guy that I'm talking about doesn't get very doesn't get very many opportunities. So it's when he gets those opportunities that he knocks them out of the park, completely delivers on a level that's like match of the year level, match of the month, one of the best matches of the year kind of stuff. And I think more than the people that I've li- that I listed in that block of Park, Suzuki, Lesnar, and now Virus, I think Virus is just the guy that his style speaks more to me. And on average, if you were asking me who would I rather watch out of those four guys or, you know, this hypothetical desert island game of who would I rather who would I rather take a, a like a box set of their best matchups on a deserted island, I would take Beerus. Yeah, fair and uh phenomenal wrestler. Like I said, if I had any lucha on there, he would be on it. Um my forty three is Oni Lorkin Biff Busick did not did not make my list. Yeah, I can't blame you. Um, I think that I got into a little, maybe not a spat, but a little bit of a, a tiff in the GWE chat with a buddy, uh, Andy Lebray, when I was like kind of making a joke about Biff and uh, and uh, 
Vulcan. Um, and like, I get the point, like the idea that he had just like a quick burst on the Indies and like, that's it. But he had a solid, like half of the decade, basically of being the best sprint match. If you want to call it a hoot worker in the world. Um, I don't think that there's any doubt about that through beyond and then into PWG, uh, with like evolve and CZW also mixed in there. Uh, he was like a 100% hitter when it came to going out there and just throwing, going balls to the fucking walls and having like phenomenal performances, no matter who he was going up against. Um, but then he could also have like big epic bloodbaths, um, like heated rivalry feud ending like epic encounter matches um so yeah i mean he had like four years three or four years of being like a certain type of wrestler being the best at that style um like 100 percent of the time just phenomenal and then he goes into to wwe and he basically brings that same level of intensity to his wwe matches um and continues to have phenomenal matches every time he gets a chance, even when he's going out there just to be a jobber. So it's like, he's not, he doesn't like have no case. Once he goes to NXT, he continues to be phenomenal. Um, they let him out to play a couple of times under contract and he goes to WXW in progress and just has some kick-ass matches. But it's like, I don't know. The level is not like a huge difference. It's not like he goes back to the Indies and it's really that much different than what you're seeing him do on TV. Um, tag team with Danny Burch ends up continuing to deliver solidly. Not something you would have predicted um, as he has never really been a tag team guy. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he just, he kicks ass. I mean, repeatedly out there having like phenomenal matches. Like I said, uh, unfortunately the, the run is cut short, but has a period of time there where he's like, one of the best wrestlers on the planet when it comes to just hard hitting fast paced action. Um, so that was enough for me to say like, yeah, like he, he burned bright and he burned fast on the Indies, but then like in WWE, he continued to have that same level of performance. It just doesn't get to do it as often. Um, like, like we've talked about Biff's signing is one of the most disappointing ones that we that like you know of of the whole indie signing spree just because it was like man he, he didn't even get started yet what the fuck yeah like we didn't even get a chance to see him do all the cool shit that we wanted to see him do and he's still done cool shit in WWE um you know few you know more few and far between but he's he, but like you said he's a guy that makes the most of, most of, makes the most of everybody opportunity even right even right now and you know that's that quality of he. He is going to make the most out of two minutes, three minutes, whatever he gets. He's going to make the most out of it. And, you know, that's a guy that just through sheer force of will, sheer attrition and talent, you can't deny. And I'm think that they're, and, I, and i glad to see that he's still, you know, eventually you, they couldn't deny him to where he is now, where he's, uh, where he's tag chancel Birch. Yeah. Um. My number 42 is the guy that you mentioned a little bit ago. It is ACH. Okay. All right. In a perfect world, ACH is higher on my list. Yes. Because Ring of, because Ring of Honor realized that they have possibly a generational baby face on their hands. And they give him the ball in order to be that. But that did not happen in WWE. That did not happen. Um, and we have a guy that for some stretches just isn't really getting to be ACH. And 
even before Ring of Honor, even like you know some of the like some of the stuff in Texas that we get in, in the early 2010s, he's still really good, extremely charismatic, just super crisp, super crisp, and can deliver just about anything you want out of a out of a professional wrestler. We're just not getting to see that guy on a consistent basis once he signs the Ring of Honor. And he has some incredible stuff there. I love the AJ match from the anniversary show. I love the Roderick, I love the Roderick Strong series and well, various TV matches that he gets to have. He is fantastic. Um, but not until his AAW World Champion run do we get to see ACH for what he could have always been. And that's the face of a company. ACH, as the face of a major indie company, was truly remarkable. And everything that he was able to accomplish in his title defenses and having different matches with all of his different challengers and nothing was the same. And like every everything that he was going out there and doing, even without the title, this the shit that he was going out there and doing. ACH showed truly what we could what he could have been doing this entire time if someone smartened up and just gave him the ball to be the guy. And you can talk about the image. You can talk about immaturity. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But, like, talent is talent. And there are few wrestlers that either of us are going to have on this list that I honestly say are more talented than ACH. A great flyer. Someone who can stick to the basics and just do the simple things, but do, but do the simple things extremely well and with a unique twist, almost like a Fred Yehi. A great babyface. An awesome babyface, really. Someone that... You know, for all his annoyingness or quirky qualities, he is endearing. He's likable. He is so likable in his best moments. Someone that can play into the bullshit he will say about him and, and, you know, play heel. And be very good at that, too. Be a complete dickhead. And he can and he can nail that. ACH is such a good wrestler. And we talked about it before, that we feel like wrestling kind of rock kind of robbed him of what he could have been but this dude could have been honest to god like a top 15 top 10 wrestler of the decade if he just got the chances but he didn't that's just how it shook that's just how it shook out but ACH is too good to deny and he had enough he had, he had enough stuff from 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 the deck from the decade that I was that I got that I got a spot for him here, but realistically, a guy that should be a lot higher. Yeah, he's my number forty-five, and like everything you said there is one hundred percent correct. Um, phenomenal when you talk about being able to play everything. I mean, he can be a heel, but he can also like he can be a heel in the like the Troll Boys with Ethan Page being a jackass, and he can be a heel as like a grumpy ring veteran who's beating up uh, the plucky young baby face. Like he can do both things. And then you talk about his, his baby face qualities. I mean, he can be fun loving stone cold ACH and he can be AAW world heavyweight champion gravitas, you know, big time main event ACH baby face. Like he can do it all. It's insane to think that you have a guy that talented and what you want to do with him is like, I don't know, like, just nothing? <laughs> just do nothing with him? You have the most talented wrestler on earth, and you want to, like, basically just 
treat him like he's just another fucking nothing joke like all the other idiots that you signed i mean like like like, said, like, 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 like it was like it was funny that those that these two went up like you know have like facing each other in bola but like there's no reason why ach couldn't do what kenny omega does there's right. absolutely he's no a, reason why that why, yeah. why why he couldn't do that yep that could be ach and honestly he'd probably be better at it i mean i hate to say that because me and you are both kenny omega fans but Kenny Omega is not connecting with the did not connect with the mainstream crowd as well as a babyface as he could have, and I think ACH easily does. I mean, I really do. I think that the crowds, the fans, everybody connects with with in America connect with ACH better as a babyface. He's just he's a, he's a better promo. He's got just a, a little bit like a more natural like ability to a mainstream crowd. Like a lot of people, I know a lot of people now are kind of more nerdy and Twitch is really popular and esports are very popular and all this, but I think that ACH is just, I don't know, he just comes across a little bit cooler and I think that the crowd would like him a little bit, would would have taken to him a little bit more quickly, the mainstream crowd. So yeah, I mean, no question he couldn't have done that. And, and that final run, I mean, it really sucks because ACH was the best wrestler on the planet for like three months out of 2018 or something or like four months in 2018 and then like he disappears you know and like that's it <laughs> like or i guess it was 2019 but yeah like right before he signs he was the best wrestler going like he really was and then he's just gone and then it's fucking bullshit and we're just, we're just talking about it the other day but yeah the, the the stuff that happened with him is still upsetting to me to think about and the people who try to act like it was in any way his fault. I'm sorry, but you don't, you can't know what that's like to be in the situation that he was in, and any reaction that he had is is understandable. Not, not even, not even just WWE, but like Ring of Honor, like yeah, the Ring of Honor stuff again, like shit too, yeah, like 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 people like always like like you know it was a thing where like people people pointed to ACH, but like look at all the black wrestlers that were super talented. It could have been like huge stars Ring of Honor that wound up leaving from. Moose to Cedric Alexander, Leo Rush to ACH, like all all wind up leaving. Keith Lee all wind up leaving, and that's right. like that's not that that's not a coincidence, right? Yeah, super talented guys, and, and they they didn't have any place for him, I guess. Um, but yeah. Ugh. Okay, so my forty-two, you'll probably have higher Kento Miyahara. I do have Kento Miyahara higher. Yeah. Okay. All right, my number forty-one. Um, I have Konosuke Takashita. Uh, I think I didn't. Get no, him no, 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 Takashita. I don't think so. No, no. Wow. Takashita. He was a okay. he was a cut. He was definitely a tough cut, but like, you know, I just you know not. I don't know. I mean, I guess there is stuff there. Probably deserves it, but just he was a, he was a cut for me. I just couldn't get him on. Um, but yeah, well, from the, from the early beginnings in DDT with the tag team with Endo and the series with the Golden Lovers, um, there was always something there with those guys. But Sakashita specifically was always just my guy out of all of that stuff. Um, they begin to push him more in 2015, um, with the King of DDT, with the King of DDT stuff, and he has the finals against Sakaguchi, if I remember correctly, um. It was really the beginnings of this push to stardom for Takashita. And then 2016, they just go all the fucking way with them. It just the feud, the feud, the feud with uh with with Dam- with Damnation, and eventually culminating with him uh, beating uh, Daisuke Sasaki. And 
since then, he's just been on a fucking roll. It's, it's arguable that every year since 2016 that he's been a top 20 wrestler of the year. And I'm like, I don't think that I don't, I don't think I'm overreaching when I make that statement. If you go and watch the work on DDT, if you make the time to watch it because DDT runs more shows than anybody that's not New Japan or WWE or I guess like CMLL, like, like Takashita has a case to, of being uh, like on that level for a while, I guess like three or four years in a row. And sometimes I, I think I, I would say 2017 and 28 and uh, I, I guess it was 2018, whatever it was, but like he had at least two years, but I think he's a top 10 guy. And from that perspective, I might be able to have him higher, but he only fall. He only falls right here for me. Um, I, I, I would say for 2020s, you know, once we get, once we get, get done this decade and get into the 2030s, Takashita might be, a, might probably be a top five guy, maybe a number one contender, really. But I think I just need to see a little bit more from him uh, as as his career goes on. But what a start he's off to so far. And a guy that's, again, he's shown he can do everything. We talk, we've gushed about Takashita before. Trios, tags, working on top, working for underneath, limb selling, limb targeting, uh, comedy, uh, quick, you know, quick stuff, main events. He's done it all. And it's still being super young, like 26 years old, this guy is only going to keep getting better. Yeah, I think he's someone that I need to, I would have needed to go back and do a little bit more deep dive on some of the earlier stuff because I really, I really was not paying huge attention to him until kind of his first um, big major uh, main event run. Um, but, I mean, he's been phenomenal. So he probably, the case is there. I just need to go back and check it all out because I was not uh, following DDT super heavy at that time. Um, that is my 40, 41. My 41. Uh, I don't know if you'll have him. Eric Royal? I had him on, I had him on the list of people I considered. I could not get myself to like go away with it. I can understand that. Um, really small regional guy. But the 2010s, out of any other time in his career he did kind of get out and do some other stuff other than just cwf but cwf is like where he primarily makes his uh makes his case right um lot but i mean this guy is just there's tons of great matches there he's had a lot of like good rivalries throughout that's how cwf works you end up kind of having a ton of matches with a ton of different people and they build up a bunch of history um throughout the throughout it with having people have great matches but i mean the thing of it is is that the guy is just the best crowd worker (laughs) going in wrestling really um just oozes personality as both a heel and a baby face interacting with the crowd super legit in ring um really just a big man who can move he's crisp he's believable on power he can fly around the ring. Um, but yeah, just, I mean, when it comes to work, working a crowd, I mean, there's nobody for the entire decade. There's nobody else who really from the beginning until this point now is just so good at like getting the crowd engagement, getting everyone behind him, either like into him or against him. He gets the crowd to do whatever the fuck he wants. Um, and it's just so comfortable out there that he can jaw jack directly with people, mess with people, um, whatever it takes. And then the huge, I mean, a lot of really good heel work throughout CWF, babyface stuff too. But then the big babyface run in, uh, again, I'll talk about another canceled promotion, um, Nova Pro. 
Um, the big babyface run there is fucking amazing. Um, and then right around the time that gets ended, then he starts the big heel run in uh, in action. And uh, the feud with Freddie Ahai, I mean, that thing's stretching out for almost about two full years, basically, um, has just been phenomenal the whole way through. Um, the guy is just, like I said, I mean, for big matches with intrigue and, and people paying attention and, and getting into everything, uh, nobody better, really, when it comes to that stuff. Um, and then he brings it in the ring, too. Physicality, like I said, aggressiveness, violence, um, and he, he can he can actually like move. He can do it all. So I just think, yeah, one of the best total package wrestlers and another guy who should be bigger, better places, should be could be a main focused guy but i mean you look at someone like eddie kingston who it's taken 10 years for people to uh to recognize where he is and then now see what he can do and eric royal i mean it's right at that same level i think eric royal could show up on tv and instantly be a top guy if uh if they put the gave him the chance but with with but with royal you're absolutely right i think that he we, we talk about him as this heel force in just how commanding of a presence he is. But before NCWF, before like, you know, we got we got we got before we got acclimated to it and introduced to it, Eric was a babyface. He was a yeah. like company leading babyface. And that definitely shows his face again in Nova Pro where the same guy that we think is such an asshole and so dislikable in CWF and action, he is so likable in Nova Pro. And that definitely speaks to just Eric's charisma and how palatable it is as a bad guy and a good guy that either way he's so charismatic where either he's the most beloved person in the, in the company or or the, or the most hated. Yep. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. There's no wavering feelings on Eric Royal. It's either one or the other. <laughs> and I think that speaks, to, that speaks to someone who's like so like overwhelmingly charismatic. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a really good point to make because, yeah, I mean, he is a guy who is... He's not meant for the middle of the pack. You either love him or you hate him, and he's but he's definitely the, one of the most talked about and thought about people in the company. Uh, my number forty, yeah, is Roman Reigns. Oh, did not make my list. Um, probably could, but I was not a huge Roman guy until really the last couple years. Um, when I think he's really clicked as a singles wrestler. I think most of the tag stuff. Um. Just wasn't a lot of meat on the bones from him. Um, charisma, personality was there, but he didn't really get to show it off until much later. So he's a guy who I think, unfortunately, just didn't. I didn't, you know, I wasn't one of these, like, definitely shit on him all the time people. But I just think that it took him a little bit to really put it together as a singles wrestler. So not a lot there for me. can understand that. Uh, Roman definitely benefits from being in tag matches and all that kind of stuff. Um early on but you can make a case and then you know this is where like stuff like great match theory kind of gets put to the test right it's like how many great matches was roman reigns a part of as the shield a lot he's part of a lot of really awesome matches but then like how many of them are awesome because of roman reigns that because like that like that that becomes the issue um and i have to say that like eventually he wasn't doing his fair share that like you know uh narratives narratives around him then start didn't start then driving storylines but roman had the benefit of being a part of the greatest vehicle to get people over that ever existed 
And, you know, the, I think that clouds a lot of his early work. So really, you're going to have to fast forward toward the 2015 to even, like, have an opinion on him, really. And despite all the apprehension about him main eventing WrestleMania and it being, the, in, you know, and all, and all that stuff, 2015, he still proved his worth. He proved his worth for sure with the fast lane match with Brian, which is one of the best matches of the year. Another one of the best matches of the year with, with Brock at with Brock at, uh, at WrestleMania, and coming back at the end of the year with the Sheamus stuff, which which ruled. Roman showed in 2015 that he had it, that he could that he could work, and then it gets into other stuff, the AJ stuff in 2016, which is awesome and probably still Roman's career work in my opinion. Uh. And it's all starting to click for him as far as a character and the aura and as a champion, but then he gets busted with the, but then he gets busted with PEDs or whatever whatever it was. He gets he gets he gets popped on wellness. And after that, there is this kind of weird thing with him. Uh comes back, clearly been de emphasized, uh twenty seventeen with with the renewed focus on 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 the Intercontinental title and the T V stuff we get with him versus Jason Jordan versus the Miz we're getting we're getting to see a lot of fun Roman Reigns stuff gets put gets gets put back into the world title mix faces Brock again at WrestleMania another good match fundamentally but like Roman fucking loses again um but I look at Roman and some people look at some years and say he's the rest, best wrestler of the year or anything like that if you're super into WWE and I can get that uh, I personally wouldn't go that far. I've had him on top 50 list. I think highly of Roman, and when when we do the GWE list time again, like I'll consider Roman. But I think that you do have to consider for the first couple parts of his first couple years of his career that he was part of such a good vehicle. That how much credit do you give him for being in those good matches? And while I feel like his performances did eventually match up with the push and the places in which he was put in, uh, it doesn't always hit for me. It's not always great. Um, but Roman has so much good stuff, has been consistently good, I would say. More than enough to, to, warn, to warn a spot here. And if someone's a bigger fan of the house style than I am, I can see Roman being, you know top 10 maybe higher for people uh and one of the things we talk about the best rest of the, de- of the decade like that covers so much ground that's like yeah okay if, if you think roman reigns is the best wrestler of the 20 of the 2010s considering he was like the focal point of the of the wwe in the 2010s and hey that makes sense like if i'm gonna sit here and have okada where i have okada then like by all means have roman reigns wherever you want to have him yeah and i can I can definitely see because consistently Roman was a guy who, out of if, in the in the like WWE house style, I enjoyed. Uh, only up until recently has he started to work a little bit more in a way that I don't. But that's also just what's happening because I think probably a lot of it is due to COVID, no crowd kind of stuff. Uh, that they're doing a lot more melodrama stuff. Um, it feels like it really coincides with uh, the popularization of that style in NXT, which is seems odd. Um, but it has kind of become a big thing in the main roster. So, I mean, consistently, if, that's like really, really recent to where it almost wouldn't even count for the decade list, um, or this decade. But, uh, yeah, I mean, consistently always really enjoyed him in the WWE style when I don't like that style in general that much. Um, number 40 for me, 
be interested if you have him at all. Adam Cole. No, but I did consider Adam Cole, and he was one where it's like, like, like he he made he made it a lot high, made it made it a lot farther than you would have thought. Right, I wasn't sure. I thought you may have even had him. Honestly, um, a guy. I mean, he is not completely not a rookie at the start of 2010, but definitely starting to uh, break out a little bit more at the start of the 2010s. Um, really gets noticed in ROH and starts to become a, a known entity there, um, especially when. He gets into the tag team with Kyle O'Reilly. Future Shock becomes a thing. And then from there, that's when they're kind of off to the races with the Adam Cole thing, really. Um, He has some good stuff in CZW before any of that, but it's not, you know, the big thing. And then PWG is where he really starts to break out, makes a huge name for himself. Um, Not just as the Future Shock tag team. Because Future... I mean... That's a weird thing, because Future Shock, I think, for some people, it's like a blip and nobody thinks about it. But for me, Future Shock was a big deal, and at the time, it was. I mean, they they were touring the world as Future Shock. They were getting brought into places to do dream tag team matches as Future Shock. And I think that that gets completely overlooked for the Adam Cole single stuff that comes out of after that. Um, as, like, kind of being when Adam, became, Adam Cole became a thing. But he was like considered like a work rate dream tag team guy, you know, which is very funny to think about now. Um, but yeah, I mean the PWG run obviously was close to my heart. Uh, saw a lot of it live and really, really appreciated it. Um, maybe not the best. I don't know. I mean, like I said, he was like a work rate kind of guy early on and could go a lot of that falls to the wayside and he doesn't really do any of it anymore. And it's, it's funny to look back at the people that were like kind of talking about it like he was dogging it until he got signed because then he shows up in WWE and he's still working that style. It's not terrible. It's just he slowed down. He's not the same kind of wrestler he was early on. He was very go, go, go. And he was definitely a, a work rate heavy wrestler who that was what he focused on. Um, he does not focus on that anymore. Uh, he works a different style, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't still hit. And uh, he's had some of the better matches on NXT TakeOvers over the past couple of years. Um, like to me a little bit more from before the championship reign but the championship reign as well is pretty good Um, dominant as the champion the entire kind of uh, undisputed era run has been like the defining feature of of NXT for the past like five years take or leave if you don't like it I can understand people aren't into it but to me I mean they haven't felt out of place as the top act and him at the helm of it the entire time um constantly delivering uh comes across as like very cerebral in his character he plays and sells that character super well um one of the better promo guys on the indies and then goes into wwe and doesn't lose really any of that ability at being a top level promo um really i think it's kind of overlooked how good he is is like a produce like produced packages like obviously people use that as like oh you can do that really well with people who can't talk and he can talk on the fly but he also has something special in produced packages that doesn't come off cheesy doesn't come off overly like he's acting but uh can really make that stuff work um to where you really buy into his character so yeah i mean just really important really a big part of like the 2010s in general i mean you couldn't really put on an indie show throughout the 2010s without seeing adam cole there for a while um and then you couldn't like not hear about adam cole um just 
a big time important worker for the 2010s as far as I'm concerned and and, and somebody who uh, who really uh, kind of broke out and became a household name throughout the decade basically um again like so Adam Cole because of what like you know the over dramatics and the super kicks and like the taunting and shit like gets over gets looked over at his base Adam Cole is a really good worker like all things considered when we like so when we talk, strip strip certain things away Adam Cole is very smart has great timing like knows how to knows how to throw in little character bits he's really good and not, like one of the matches that just reminded me how good Adam Cole is is when I was watching I was watching that Ringmasters match between Ringmasters challenge between him and Chris Hero from like 2013 or whatever. Oh and yeah, Cole. yeah, yeah, and it's just awesome. Like, like you know, you don't really get to see Cole work like that very often, and it's just so well structured. One of the better matches of the year, and again, like people, people, people that only know Cole for certain things, they might not know that Cole has that side in him that can work, that can work. Like something that's uh, structured and paced like that, but he's always had that ability in him. Is just like kind of choosing what is the easiest road to start him, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that and that was forty, correct? Yes. All right, and this is where I give a warning about about talking about a person that uh is not very pleasant. My number thirty nine is Matt Riddle. Oh. He did not make my list. Um, yeah, I just I was never that high on him early on. He's got a yeah. very little to show for his kind of time. Like he doesn't have a, a huge case, and so I wasn't a big fan of him um, throughout a big chunk of it. And then he did start to put it together, and I did enjoy him, but I just don't feel like there's enough there for me. Um, for me, I've had Matt Riddle as a top fifty guy like since he's debuted really and i do think that says a lot like people can go back and forth on this and what this means and like i don't really care but like the best rookie of all time talk wasn't just talk like it was you know was he in a good ecosystem in order for him to have good matches sure he's facing good workers but like he has to go out there and do his end too he has to go here go out there and do his part and he did that on like everywhere he went it's not often that you see a guy that's a like quote-unquote rookie like that he goes and travels places you know outside of his outside of his little ecosystem that you know which is like you know that evolve safety net and he's still just as good still just as great if not better in some places like beyond and for people what people wanted him to be is you know look at how good he was in ufc and they wanted someone that relied more on like the legit like on the real legit amateur background the legit fighter background and stuff like that but what we got is someone that fully embraced the wrestling world and he's super char- he's super charismatic uh very energetic um can steal can just completely steal an audience and have it out of the palm of his hand as soon as as soon as they see him it's an overwhelming personality that then goes in there and can keep them engaged throughout the entire time of that match and you can do whether you want whether you want to see him in that more 
legitimate stuff like an ambition. He can give you that. He can give you that. He can give you the cage match with Chuck O'Neill. He can give you some of the stuff with Jeff Cobb. He can give you that kind of stuff. If you want to see him in the indie go go go, if you want to see him in the indie go 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 stuff, he gave you that. He gave you the mat wrestling. He gave you the tag team stuff with the Chosen Bros, which was a tag team just thrown together, but. Eventually, through just being two talented fucking guys, the Chosen Bros eventually worked, and they got really good. And even in even in WWE when he when he first gets there, the dude is knocking it out the park pretty consistently when he first gets there to the point where I feel like the Velveteen Dream match from whatever takeover that was is still the best Matt Riddle performance I've ever seen. And stuff like the Tracy Williams match, um, from from whatever from whatever Evolve show that was, just was a stamp for him and Hot Sauce. And the Evolve title, the Evolve title win with him with uh with him with him beat it with him beating Zach. He just delivered all the time. And the sample size is short. You know, like, you know, it's it really is short coming from, you know, late twenty fifteen and order you know, all the way through through twenty nineteen. It's a shorter sample size. But from the time in which I first saw him through then, I thought he was. One, I thought he was one of the fifty best wrestlers in the world, and for a guy that 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 that's that new to wrestling, I do think that says something. Yeah, that's definitely. There's definitely a case to be made there for his rookie kind of breakout um, thing. Like I said, I I think you're right um, about his quality, but I just I don't know. Just never really spoke to me. I, I liked him. I yeah, like, he was good, yeah, but... yeah, like yeah, like, like yeah, like yeah, like you were never as big on the Riddle train as as as, as everyone else was. I tried. Like there really are people hard. saying, yeah. like, like there are people saying he was wrestler of the year in 2016. So right, that's like that's why it's like when you're when you're not as high on him as everyone else is. Keep in mind, everyone else thought he was the fucking wrestler of the year. Right. Yeah, I'm just not quite that high. Um, 39 for me is Rey Mysterio. Wow. Okay. I guess Lucha. I guess that's my only Lucha. Do you not have him? I I don't. I, okay. I, can't, I can't even say I considered him. I want to. I want to hear this one. Okay. Well, I mean, he's got the WWE work early in the decade. Um, realistically, I mean, consistently, always one of the best workers in the WWE. The best babyface that they have. I think. No matter where you're putting him, um, even when they're using him like kind of as a, uh, a uh, like they're trying to have him get what was it? Uh, I can't even think of his name. Sinkara over as like his tag team partner or his apprentice or whatever. Um, but then you still get like kick-ass stuff like the CM Punk feud. Um, I mean, those guys just have such great chemistry with each other. Um, good stuff with like him and and. Uh, and like Alberto Del Rio, Jack Swagger, like anybody that he gets like a chance to have a few matches with, he knocks it out of the park with them. Basically, um, he can have solid matches with like the Miz even. So it's just like someone who who basically like his the time that he has in WWE, which is like a few years. He's just like phenomenal TV wrestler, um, one of the best baby faces, able to have good matches with Alberto Del Rio. So that's saying a lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, then you get stuff like he's got like a Daniel Bryan match that kicks ass, you know what I mean, like stuff like that. Um, and then he goes on this like mini tour of the Indies, um, where he just like 
goes everywhere and shows off that like he still fucking got it and like could easily be the top indie worker in the world if he like full time was there even at his age um and even like after years of laying off basically from from like working that style he uh just completely destroys it out there um having like kick-ass matches with like will osprey um and then showing up in uh lucha underground and being like the biggest star that they have there um has that badass match with aj styles i don't know if you ever saw that i think it was like a hand cam thing um so yeah i mean it's just like this nuts like what the what the fuck like where is this guy and then he shows back up in wwe and then like is pretty much instantly like feels like he's just being wasted and then starts having badass matches with uh almas and uh and then is like the biggest baby face and feels like at times the biggest star on tv for like the past two years basically um so yeah i mean just the fact that this guy like anywhere he goes and anything he's doing is putting out phenomenal like content and matches no matter what um and the fact that he can go from wrestling on wwe or wcw tv for like a decade (laughs) over a decade basically um and then just get thrown fuck (laughs) i just looked at it and it's like 20 years on tv and then gets thrown to the indies and i mean i guess he had that little blip in like 2002 or whatever where he worked like roh and stuff um but like 20 years on national tv as a big time tv wrestler and then like hits the indies and he's not one of these guys who just shows up on the indies for paydays like he busts his ass and he shows like he's just as good as the top like flight guys on the indies and honestly in some ways better because he's like one of the best um at like storytelling while also doing high flying so he can hit the coolest new spots but also he sells and tells like great stories and everything else i mean it's just one of the greatest of all time and i mean because of that if you just get to wrestle consistently for the decade you uh, are going to be one of the best wrestlers of the decade that's just how it kind of works Yeah, I just I never really never really truly consider Ray, but like his decade isn't bad. It's just so marred by injury, sure, and like period periods of just inactivity. But again, like when you see Ray, Ray is still awesome. Like again, like you talk about like you know getting like the almost matches and all that stuff, and that's Ray in, and that's Ray in like great shape. But like, when you talk about Ray, like you know when you're facing like Loki or facing uh uh. Facing uh facing Prince Puma or facing Osprey or like you know he's he's in good shape good enough shape to do that but he's he wasn't in the shape that he that he was in when he when he when he's uh, doing that stuff with Almas right um my number thirty eight um is Sasha Banks she's not on my list but I can definitely see why. Now, this is the person with the weakest work case on my list, by far, I would say. Um, especially, like, in terms of consistency and, like, there's a, there's a lot that you can make against this pick. But the main thing that I will use to defend this is when I think of the 2010s WWE, I feel like the common denominator... And the in the women's division eventually improving, and becoming something that people wanted to actually watch, it is Sasha Banks, and that goes from NXT 
up into the main roster that Sasha Banks was always the person that was the glue. That Becky Lynch might have reached heights greater than anybody else reached in terms of popularity. Charlotte is the most pushed. Oscar's Oscar's the most dom- dominant, and whatever, whatever you want to say. But the glue that held everything together was always Sasha Banks, and I say that from the bait from the from the Bailey series in NXT. From even the Charlotte stuff at NXT to eventually the Charlotte stuff on the main roster, the Becky match from NXT Takeover Unstoppable to eventually the be- to eventually the Becky match, uh, and Hell in a Cell, to the Oscar matches that she's had, the match with Alexa Bliss is still Alexa Bliss's career match, maybe the best Ronda Rousey match. Like, that's all Sasha Banks, and. I, I, I realize that for a lot of this, she just wasn't always pushed. She wasn't always put in positions. She's severely underutilized. Like, for a lot of the time, she was severely underutilized. And up until the point in which she held the company over there, uh, you know, how, how, like, held leverage over there as an AEW, because they were deathly afraid of Sasha Banks going, going, wanting, wanting to leave and go somewhere else. So eventually they finally pushed her. So eventually they finally pushed her. Like, Sasha was so incredibly underutilized but in spite of all of that Sasha left made like somehow the biggest mark out of all the women on WWE and uh, to me there's a there's a beauty in that that the person that they so constantly just kept fighting against and using to the kept fighting against using to their full potential Sasha always just made herself undeniable you can't deny history you can't deny that Sasha Banks, you can argue, has all everybody's best match. She does. Like she, she always makes every she like she was so good. And I, and I, and I like Charlotte, so I don't want to say like me slighting Charlotte. Like she was so good versus Charlotte that people would think that Charlotte was like some great worker. <laughs> she was that like she was that she's that good. Bailey, as much as I like Bailey, Bailey has never had anything come close to that stuff. I guess like other than Oscar. Other than, other than that, not really. Like like so, like the the the, the Sasha stuff for Alexa Bliss. That's been that's five years ago. Alexa Bliss still doesn't touch that stuff. Like Sasha is the glue of that women's division. Always has been. Always a bit a big match performer at the highest level. Who's always been super fun, and. You know, whether it's heel or babyface, people talk about like like Sasha Banks being better as a heel. She kind of wrestled better as a babyface, I think. I think she's I think she's a nat I think she's a natural babyface. I think her career performance, in my opinion, isn't NXT, NXT, isn't NXT takeover respect with her snatching Izzy's headband and all and, and, and all that and all that good heel stuff. It's the hell in a cell performance against Charlotte. And how good of a babyface she was there in, in, in that setting. To me, you can't talk about 2010's WWE without Sasha Banks, and that goes beyond being a woman. That goes beyond all that stuff. All the hurdles that she had in her edge, that she had in her face, and I still feel like you can't talk about WWE in, in 2010's without mentioning Sasha Banks. Yeah, definitely a good case there, and someone who probably should have made my list. Um, unfortunate, unfortunate oversight, but I'm, I'm I agree with everything you were saying there. Um. 39 for me is Pete Dunn. Nope, no Pete Dunn. 
just flat, just just flat, just just flashed out the pain a little, a, a little too soon for me. Just sure. sizzle, sizzle, just fizzled out too much. Sure, I can get that. Um, for me, I think that there's a lot of good stuff early on. Um, I think that Pete was was honestly really good from the very beginning of when you start to see him. Um, goes on those couple of tours in the U in the U.S. and you kind of see some of that that stuff from early on, like 2013, 2014. Um, great like tag team matches there. Um, really starts to come into his own like through 2015, 2016. Um, and yeah, I mean from there until the end of the the decade, I think he's pretty much great. I mean there is like a hiccup of time when he kind of signs his contract and then still is able to work the indies where honestly i think there's a lot of stuff to not like there but i think that like a lot of bad booking is a little bit overblown um into like he's fucking like terrible throughout all of that because there is still some good wrestling there and I think that he continued to have good matches when he was in WWE. Unfortunately, it becomes, like, few and far between. Um, and, like, yeah, I just think that uh, he's kind of... I mean, he's not as good as he was before, obviously. Um, he's really completely changed his style in WWE. Um, and he just never... But, I don't know, actually. Maybe he's getting it together now. Getting a chance to be a heel again. Um in this group might actually help bring something back because yeah when when like from like 2016 through like 2018 19 he was like the best heel one of the best heels in wrestling um and uh yeah so i mean f like i said phenomenal stuff from early on great run for the ott championship obviously that whole um kind of run the stuff in fight club pro um attack rev pro WXW everywhere really progress when he eventually shows up there. I mean, a lot there's a lot to really like. I think I get what you're saying that it was pretty quick, but uh, I thought really really uh, phenomenal output from him that uh, didn't didn't go away. Just maybe a little bit doesn't quite hit the same heights that he used to. But there was a time there when he was so great that it was kind of like I don't think anybody could have kept up at at, at that forever, unfortunately. All right, my number uh, thirty-seven. Uh, not sure we're gonna have him, but it's CM Punk. Um, no, I I looked it over, but I couldn't get him on the twenty tens. It just, I don't know, not enough there. And yeah, totally, under totally understand that. It's only four years of work, and like the um, last, and the last like year and a half in WWE is he's, he really is pretty bad like not that he's yeah, bad wrestling yeah. but like he just seems like he's not all there mentally and or physically and yeah and he, and he wasn't <laughs> so I, to I totally get that um there's definitely gonna be like more of an impact thing right from 2010 through 20 through april 2013 cm punk bust his ass all the time from the early new nexus stuff the straight edge society the straight edge society uh to eventually you know him going him going solo going back with Heyman. hey uh you know our pal our pal evan the soccer guy like <laughs> says something about punk that like really sticks with me even now like, CM Punk is the last person that, like, felt like he broke wrestling television. 
that when he comes out, it feels like everything about the gravity of the show, the atmosphere of the show, the structure of the show fundamentally changes when CM Punk is there just because he's not here to deal with all the other stupid bullshit everyone else is dealing with. He is here to exist in his own world because everything else is so fucking stupid and makes no sense. And like, I kind of felt that way about Eddie Kingston uh in 2020 like eddie kingston was 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 the the guy that came closest to replicating that kind of thing in recent memory but cm punk had that effect uh like cm punk goes so beyond the scope of wrestling a lot of the time and i feel like we take that for granted because cm punk has been a has been a media personality for so long now but he really goes beyond all of that shit and the guy still had these great matches. Uh, I'm not sure if the I'm not sure if the Ray stuff was, was the 2010s, but even like the stuff with Orton. When I feel like I feel like well, the, the stuff with Orton was good. The really early stuff with Cena. You know, people always talk about like the Cena stuff when it comes to the Summer of Punk, but the early stuff was the earlier stuff with Cena when, when dealing with the new Nexus is still is still good. Um, and then all we and then we then we know he has to roll on fire with the pipe bomb and. Uh, and everything that, that goes there. Money in the Bank. Phenomenal match. One of the best matches of all time. The SummerSlam match that follows it, I feel like it's an even better worked match. Not as emotionally significant, not the same atmosphere, not the same legacy and, and, and all that shit attached to it. But it's a really well worked match. Uh, fast, fo- fast forward that same year. Del, uh, the, Del, the Del Rio title switch is really good. The, ti- the, trip, the, the, ti- the Del Rio title switch is really good. The Triple Threat versus, versus Miz and Mysterio is really good. Then we get into 2012, which is I feel like is a career year for Punk, and you can argue the wrestler of the year that year. From starting off the year against Ziggler at the Royal Rumble, uh, the stuff that we the stuff that we get uh, versus Jericho, I feel like both of those matches at WrestleMania and and, and Extreme and Extreme Rules are good. Uh, transition into the Brian stuff, the Brian stuff, the transitions into being like, oh my god, this indie dream stuff, these guys that came up together and finally made it, goes from that kind of story to typical WWE, like, love stuff, and they make it work, it works, the whole stupid love triangle, whatever the fuck with AJ Lee, they make it work, they completely nail it, they turn, they finally, they finally turn them back heel, and, we're getting. And we're, oh, I didn't mention him and him versus Mark Henry in a little TV program there that I know uh, Brock especially loves, but had but that produced some really good matches. Turn him back heel, and now you're getting another ma- another match with Cena that a night of champions that completely that completely delivers, and uh he he just always manages to bring you bring you back bring you back in some of the most chilling promos. That CM Punk ever, ever, ever recites, ever, ever speaks, come from this run in 2012, where everything is just so harsh, and mean, and just completely just like a, a man, a man that's just like on, on, on a mission, and then we, and then we get, and then we see him versus like you know the end of this, we see the they've been building to the Rock and Cena, we we know that, and. This is the thing that like really kept Punk from reaching the from from reaching the the ceilings that he should have reached is that there's no reason why we shouldn't have gotten a CM Punk versus John Cena main event at WrestleMania. 
absolutely no reason why we couldn't have gotten that. But, you know, The Rock was back and The Rock wanted to work. And that takes precedent over the over this guy that was holding a company together. I get it. CM Punk worked those Rock matches better than I feel like anybody else real, realistically could have. And I, give him a, and I give him a lot of credit for that. And then the cherry on top, The Undertaker at WrestleMania 29, he goes out there and does whatever the fuck he has to do. In order to make that match the most memorable thing in the world, and it's probably the best streak match, I would, I, 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 I would, I would say. Um, it's Undertaker's last great match. Yeah, Undertaker's last great match, really. And again, like CM Punk gets to hold it, gets to hold his head on that because afterwards, like, I, I like the Brock stuff in 2015, but again, it's his last great match, and CM Punk just made sure to go out on such a high note and go in a blaze of glory. And when he comes back from a, from a month or from a month or whatever, from when he's gone, then he has, then he has the Brock match, which is again, one of the best WWE matches of all time. Like you see like the trend we're getting at here is punk in this run has three matches that are, that are some of the best WWE matches of all time. And even if the sample size is limited even if it really is like three and a half years of work, CM Punk used the fuck out of those three and a half years. And to this day, to this day, it feels like there's a void left because CM Punk broke WWE. Even more than Brian did, really. Like, because CM Punk is so outspoken, so independent, so driven to speak his mind. And that, and that like bled through into his work and that bled through into why people liked his character and gravitated towards him that there's still a void missing in WWE right now because CM Punk broke WWE and that just speaks volumes to me yeah I mean you really made the case there and I wish I had dug into it but I, I kind of I was going through stuff and just thinking of people and being like who maybe has a case and then kind of doing a quick like how many years do they have in the decade thing without really thinking about it? Um, and punk is a really strong, strong case there that you're making uh, <laughs> based on even a short sample size or a small sample size. He's got a lot there still. Um, and it's another one of those ones where it's like, you look at, for me at least you look at it and you think like there's so much there in the two thousands that it makes you assume that there can't be enough in the 2010s to put him on the case, or at least that's the way I looked at it. Um, but yeah, he's still got a lot there. Um, so yeah, um, thirty-seven. Um, okay, I'll give the spoiler alert, terrible person. I don't know if you'll have him higher. I can't. I feel like you might, but I almost can't imagine it. David Starr. I do, but not 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 a lot okay. higher. All right, my number thirty. My number thirty-six then is Johnny Gargano. Uh, do not have him. I think yeah, very brief window of time where I didn't loathe him, so not gonna not gonna make my uh, my talk, unfortunately. Um, I have always liked Johnny Gargano, even going back to the early days of DG USA. I've always liked him. Um, not always been great, but I feel like he was always a good worker. And then when he gets to then when he gets the chance to like you know get something to sink his teeth into, I feel like for the most part he delivers. Um, things really do, things start to heat up when he, uh, 
you know, with, with the dream game, with the, uh, with that, with that match versus Shingo from, uh, from 20, from 2013 WrestleMania weekend. And, you know, the, 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 uh, the heel turn that come, that came with that. But he was always a guy with a really solid fundamentals, a good baby face. And then once, then he, and, uh, you know, showed he can work tags, trios, all that stuff. And then he shows this new heel side to him, which I really enjoy. And then you get the Shingo match. There's a really good, there's a really good Tazawa match. The Chuck Taylor, the Chuck Taylor match is awesome. The sort of like the stuff with Swan as like, you know, they're breaking up as they're breaking up. Ronin is all, is all great. Um, I feel like, I feel like stuff that gets forgotten is the PWG stuff. He is really good in PWG. And from Steen, I believe, I think it was, I think it was an Adam Cole match and whatever, whatever, the, the PWG stuff is really good. In ages extremely well, uh, when I when when I when I went back and rewatched it, as that's like the best showcase that Gargano gets, just to be like, hey, hey, here's the wrestler. He is not he is not the the heel shtick, and here here here's everything else. I'm going to PWG, and they want and you know I know this audience, and they want to see me go out there and wrestle. And I can't. I, I'm not sure. Like, there are a few people that over the course of the decade. And like you know, PWG became a destination of debuts, the new, the new, the newest hot indie stars, all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure there's there there are many people who left a better impact on their debuts than Johnny Gargano. And I do think that and I do think that's a very interesting way to the interesting way to look at him. Uh, as Gabe and the WN Network is moving on, uh, we see Johnny Gargano start to get phased down, but still Johnny Gargano has good stuff to point to and look out for. Whether it was uh, putting over the new, whether it was putting over the new guys, or uh, having longer, more gimmick gimmick based feuds like with Ethan Page, Johnny Gargano was still around and doing good work. Uh, versus Timothy Thatcher, versus Drew Gulak, versus Zack Saber Jr. The guy is still out there and was delivering, at, even as the uh, the evolve uh, style was move, was moving on from him. And then we see him in WWE, and when they bring in him and Champa for the first for the first Dusty Classic, no one's really thinking anything of it. It's just like, oh, these two indie guys are getting put together for a random tag team. Like that's kind of cool to see them here, and then that turns into them becoming like the two, you know, for better or for worse, the two most iconic faces of NXT <laughs> for the for the later half for the latter half of the decade. Yeah. Like, you know, that's really that's what it turns into, and. The the guys have this slow rise, but it all works because they just killed it every match they were in, though. And I've never liked and I, and I like Champa. I did uh, and I never I never really was in love with him, but it just worked and they just kept getting better and getting better and getting better to the point where then we get the DIY versus revival stuff, and it's classic tag team matches that are gonna go down to some of the best tag team matches of all time. And we get we get more we get more of that, and they just always deliver, always had you wanted to see more, and then we get John, then we get Johnny as a singles, Johnny as a singles. We get the Almas stuff. The Almas stuff is great. We get a great 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 TV great TV match with Cash oh Cash Ono. Um, the Ch- the Champa stuff once they once they get back to it, the initial Champa stuff produced three great matches. I'll, I'm willing to give them that, even if it was diminishing returns and people want to uh, talk about bad finishes. That those were three great matches. I'm still willing to say, 
in I, st- and, I st- and I still think all of that works in was earned. Um, the Johnny the Johnny Gargano Adam Cole match that he wins the title in I don't enjoy I don't and I don't enjoy, but the follow up the second match I think is spectacular. I think it's super. I think it, I think they all tie in really well and just create and just create and just created something that wasn't earned in that first match between them. But when but when they go out there and have that follow up. I think that's been all kind of stuck together. And then the third one, I didn't watch because why the fuck would I watch a three stages of hell between those two? <laughs> um, sure. But I look at Johnny and I look across the board and I can totally see someone being like, absolutely not. That's gross. Go away. But I see a guy that's worked tags, worked trios, worked singles, was lower, was, was the part was lower on the card, top of the card, Top heel, top babyface, and gave you like great stuff in both roles. Not just like oh he wasn't a good tag team. It's more so he produced some a couple of the best tag team matches ever. Kind of tag team. He like you know his singles matches like the almost match transcends and is to some people maybe the best WWE match ever. Kind of thing. And those highs are just. You know, you gotta you gotta take them in and take them for account. And for the things that Johnny Gargano does that annoy me and that annoy other people, I totally get that. But I feel like he was consistent for a really long time, and I think he has the highs to back up a high ranking. That's fair. Some of the talk that you had there about PWG made me realize I should probably go back and watch some of that because I think I saw most of his PWG run live, and I just was at a point where I couldn't stand him. Except for the tag stuff with, with Chuck, I think was the only stuff that I enjoyed. Um, and I really was just like completely turned off by Gargano at that point. So maybe if I went was back it, was, up, it, was it was was it because of like like was it because of the game work or was it or did or was it like you you actively disliked him in PWG? I just yeah, I think that I was already turned off on him from the Gabe stuff to where I was just like sick of him kind of being I felt over pushed by Gabe. Um and I think that if I went back and, and kind of a pre, like watched a lot of that stuff more, I might like him more. But I just couldn't. I just really couldn't stand his his title run, um, in like Dragon Gate or you know whatever. Like to where to the point where I was just like sick of him, sick completely sick of him. Um, because I think part of it too was like there. Were, I just felt that there were so many guys that were so much better than him in that company. And I think at the time I was a little bit maybe a little bit more markish and like wanting just like the people who I think, you know, smarkish to be like, I just think the best wrestler should be the champion and not really thinking too much about like the business stuff. Um, and why he made sense as the champion in a lot of ways, more than guys who maybe I thought were better wrestlers. Um, so I think if I went back, I might appreciate a little bit more of that stuff on tape, but I know that in person I was just like, I didn't even give it a shot. So he was probably pretty I, good. I, I, know, I, I know for me, it's like when, when I was going back and looking at certain stuff, I remember just, for a guy that that for like for that's new like that like the crowd is like super fucking into him and like some of these some of this stuff just ages really really well like that steam match that like you know like you know I'm not sure if they got both of them signed or got Gargano signed or but like that like that thing ages really well like people the people the way that like we like reminisce on Trevor Lee like I do think that Trevor Lee like had a better had like more of an impact and was a more was more like immediately like well received. But Johnny Gargano wasn't far off. Yeah, I think 
I remember liking the Roddy match. I remember, but that, but at that time, I was just really stoked on Roddy because I think he had just come back from injury. Um, but yeah, I remember really liking that match, and like I said, the stuff, any of the tag stuff with Chuck, I enjoyed. But like, I felt like the Willie Mac match wasn't like I just wasn't into it. I think there he had a match with like TJP that was like one of the worst, most boring bullshit matches ever, as far as I was concerned at the time. And I think maybe if I went back, yeah, I might he- like it. Yeah, but yeah, and then like and then like TJP and PWG was kind of weird at that time yeah, too. TJP fucking sucks. I mean, whatever. I guess he's. I guess uh, he's I a good know. wrestler. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess he's a good wrestler. Maybe, um, according to some people, in Minecraft, that's what you're supposed to say, right? Um, number, am I at thirty six? Uh, yeah, we're at thirty six. Thirty six. I, I think weirdly you probably won't have this guy at this point because it seems. Beyond this is probably too high, but maybe. I don't know. It's been weird. I feel like you've had a lot of people. It's like a lot of my people who are lower on the list, you're saying you have later. So I'm wondering uh, what your later list is going to look like compared to my later list. Anyways, um, 36 for me, Cedric Alexander. No, Cedric Alexander. Um, yeah, like, it's, it's weird. Love Cedric to death, but I just didn't even really think about him, honestly. Fair. I get that. I get that. But like when you're talking about like you know rookie rookie breakout like riddle i think cedric unfortunately just didn't get the um didn't get the play people didn't see him but i mean he's when he starts he's phenomenal from the get-go like he is cedric alexander is fantastic as soon as he starts wrestling um i think the earliest that people start to see him is probably the tag team the the cnc wrestle factory and i think that at that time roh had brought in like multiple like tag teams of two brand new guys um and like or not you know obviously caprice coleman's not brand new but they were being presented as like these young uh tag teams that were all kind of feuding with each other um and so i think that he got like kind of just uh, he was lumped in as part of that group you know um but you had like a td uh cedric alexander ach uh you also at that same time had like um um, Kyle O'Reilly and uh, and uh, Adam Cole, Future Shock kind of guys. Like there was a lot of like young tag teams that were just like, you know, they had this. They had. The, I think it was like really the height of that whole like ROH has the greatest tag team division in wrestling or whatever. But like he was fucking great from the beginning. Like as soon as Cedric started wrestling, he was great. I just think that like he kind of gets overlooked. Um, then he starts to get to show off like his babyface stuff and. Uh, especially in uh pwx is where you start to see like as a singles and as like a baby face he's like amazing um just has phenomenal matches obviously we've, we've talked about his pwx title run um where they would basically bring in like whoever the hot stars around the world were for him to uh defend the title against and uh he would just have like kick-ass match after kick-ass match with whoever the fuck it was um like there was i think uh elgin steen like i can remember samoa joe like just phenomenal stuff repeatedly so it's just like yeah like the pwx run stuff in cwf like he um would kind of dip in and out of pwf or yeah cwf and have great matches there and then yeah a guy who gets plucked up by wwe after having this phenomenal run all around but just an under i think underappreciated worker i think flew under the radar a lot 
didn't get noticed, but like starts the, basically the decade out like in like starts his career at the beginning of the decade. He's really good from the beginning, just like continuously gets better and better. Um, has like an amazing babyface run that gets like kind of overlooked and people barely even talk about. Um, oh yeah, that Zack Saber Jr. match that was phenomenal as well. Um, like has these great great babyface run then he has a pretty i really liked the heel run that he had in roh like right before he left roh basically um especially like that feud with moose i thought everything in that was fantastic yeah all, all those matches all those matches ruled yeah. i remember seeing one of those live the, all that stuff all that stuff ruled. yeah so it was like he's this great baby face and then out of nowhere he starts running this great heel run and having just kick-ass matches with like a, a, a big baby face, like being a good heel against a larger baby face is pretty impressive. Um, and like I said, all of this is done. If you think about the guy debuting in 2010, I mean, this stuff is happening in like 2013, 2014, 2015. Like right. this guy is like three, four years in. So you talk about a rookie, like, I mean, by the time he gets signed to WWE, he's been wrestling for like five years, you know, like, to think that is kind of nuts because of how good he he was and how good his reputation was by the time he even showed up in WWE. He seemed like a guy that should have already been signed, right? Like when he shows up in the Cruiserweight Classic, didn't he seem like a, well, they should just, they should have already signed Cedric kind of thing. And then they do the whole angle and the crowd like chance for him to get signed. And he does, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of nuts to think about how good he was so quickly. He just kind of, unfortunately, I think flew under the radar. And then once he gets into WWE, I mean continues to have great matches you can't say that he doesn't perform um but like just there's just i don't know what the fuck they're doing it, with like, him at this point it's it's a it's a weird thing again like they sign everybody and this and then just refuse to give them stuff like they just re, they, they just now like gave like ricochet and ali like a platform to go out there and just kill it but like remember they just fucking butchered ricochet yeah like and then the same thing with Cedric Alexander. Like Cedric Alexander, like we talk, we kind of like, we usually talk about like Trevor Lee in this vein of like Trevor Lee was kind of like the like the like successor of AJ Styles. Like Cedric is kind of was kind of in that in that vein yes. too. Yeah, definitely. I think I think yeah I think that he just got he gets a little bit overlooked. I don't know why exactly. I don't know why something like Trevor Lee's CWF title run got more traction than something like Cedric Alexander's uh, PWX title run. Really. Because for quality, I mean, this Trevor Lee's might be a little bit better. I honestly think the only reason is, like, the long matches. Like, the fact that Trevor was doing those crazy long matches got people's attention. But, like, Cedric was having phenomenal matches as well. So, yeah, it's just... I guess they're doing something now with him with the Hurt Business thing, but... But, I don't know. We'll see. But, yeah, I just... I think he's, uh... He's just... He flew under the radar for a long time there, but was just consistently one of the best workers. Be it heel, baby face... Um, he can do spot fests with anybody. He can do tag team. Like I said, he was part of that, you know, young high flyers tag team kind of division thing that they were doing in ROH, but then he can also like slow it down and, and work a hold, do like grappling. He can also like that feud that he had with Roddy strong, I think really put him on the map where he showed like, oh, yeah. where he showed like he was a contemporary of strong, who I think is a guy who's considered like one of the best ass kickers of indie wrestling for the, for the decade. Um, so it's like Cedric could do it all. I mean, the guy is multifaceted, super talented, heel, babyface, flying, striking, you know, power moves, whatever it takes. I mean, the guy super, super again, super, super charismatic. Yeah. We talk about guys that like, like people kind of like refer to like the lost generation of indie guys as like that as like after that first wave, but like 
I will count Cedric as a, again, like you no, know, even like the guys like just Cedric or ACH, like guys that, like in any scenario should be like fucking stars anywhere should be stars, but just for for whatever the reasons were, just did not get the chances that they deserve because both of them are extremely charismatic, likable dudes that could be like top of the company baby faces, or it could be guys that are like barely very useful very good heels too and it just makes no sense how like both of these guys with unique looks great flying great charisma can like go can go out there and like have proven to be like guys that can go out there and like work just didn't get those chances yeah <laughs> it's almost i mean you'd almost wonder how could that be happening repeatedly but who knows um my number 30 my number 35 uh you have no women on your yes. list, as you as you as you stated. But my, my number thirty five is Michael Sanamora. Okay, yeah, definitely get that one. But let's hear it. All right. Now I am not as big of a Michael fan this decade as some people may be. Um, I usually like her when she's not the champion somewhere, when it's when it's not a title match setting, or when she's a challenger for a title match, which I feel like is a good distinction. Um, I feel like, you know, what's it, what's to say about Michael? Michael's a legend, and her longevity speaks for itself. And she's still good and still great right now. And there's no foreseeing when Michael Sadamora is going to stop being a great wrestler. Um, and again, that's all over the 2010s, from her from her from her from her shots and stardom, as as start as as uh, stardom is starting up to when eventually she uh, she goes uh, and starts uh, Sendai Girls to the other random shots across the other jo- Joshi promotions. Michael Sadamora just is the constant, the constant legend there. Even as people like you know. Arisa Nakajima and uh and Nana Takahashi are there and they and they and they have some uh and they have some 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 some, some salt in the game too. Maiko has been around forever and Maiko is the legend here. And you have people that that that, that dabble in and out like Mayumi Ozaki, Manami Toyota, Aja Kong that are all you know take they have their have their moments, but Maiko is the constant. Maiko is always there. Whether that's an important stuff, being the leading face of a company, being like you know the being being the figure that gives a company uh, any credibility, or using her to elevate other people, Michael's all Michael's always been that just like that that rod there to keep everything together, and she has the stuff as far as quality and peaks to match to match to match to match to, uh, to match her placement here. The trilogy with Kyrie Hojo is stellar. And maybe like it's 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 not behind a lot of stuff from my fa- from my favorite women's matches of the decade. Really, it's it's gonna do very 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 well for me when it comes when I come to top one hundred time. Um, and then and then just other stuff that she got that she got to do across the board. Her building Chihiro Hashimoto, even if I don't love those matches, that stuff doesn't really work if it's not Michael Sadamura and they're doing the honors for her. The match of Sari from twenty from twenty nineteen is a fuck it was just super mean and nasty and killer. And we saw the Sendai girls versus all out in DDT and 
just anywhere Michael goes, whether it's uh, intergender versus other women, she does it all. And then the cherry on top is really Michael coming over uh, to Europe in the States and getting like a hero's welcome. People just immediately understanding the gravity of Michael Sadamora being around. And even if it's not great matches, Michael Sadamora just developed this aura from Progress to Chikara to the Mae Young Classic that she now felt like the biggest star in the world. And Michael and Michael's never felt that way. Ever. I feel like even the most ardent Michael fan can never say that Michael felt like the biggest star. But here she is, and now she has this like uncovered aura of feeling like the big endgame boss of the Joshi scene now. And that's such an interesting, unique thing for me. Just because I've never thought of her in that way. And just suddenly, after that trip, it feels like she just had that aura in abundance now. But, you know, the standard the standard bearer, the most constant, and a living legend who's only going to keep having good matches up until the point that she decides to retire. You know, there's no really denying Michael Satomura. Yeah, I mean, everything you're saying there is correct. Again... There's no point even repeating it at this point. Um, all right, thirty-five for me. I guess you don't have him. Feels weird, Tommaso Ciampa. No, no, no Ciampa for me. Um, again, like just I, he's weird. Is that I liked him in ROH, and I totally thought the ROH dropped dropped the ball on him, but he wasn't like a guy that I was ever in love with. Right. That's I think it's weird because it's the Gargano. Like I think once they get to WWE, obviously they're so linked that their cases are are really similar at that point, right? So the difference is there that like the pre WWE stuff from Champa, I love. I love all of it basically from the, right. the moment that I first see him in ROH until. Oh, sorry about that. No, no, fine. Until it's, that's the alarm. The podcast is over. Everyone, thank you. Um, <laughs> we're so close. We almost made it. Um, yeah, but like the second, the first time I see him in ROH, I just fall in love with this guy. Um, go back and look up some of his older stuff and just like find out that like he's already been to developmental and all this and that. And like, oh, okay, interesting. This is a, a weird dude. You, le- you le- learn, learn his whole story. Yeah, very cool. Then you're like, then I'm like rooting for him because I know that he's coming back from like drugs and, and fucking up an opportunity early on. And then. Then I, and then I see him for the first time live in PWG. I mean, I was so excited. Like, oh, my God, I've loved this guy for, for a while now. I really i am excited to finally see him in person. Um, felt like a long time. I look back on it, and it's like he debuts in ROH in 2011. He shows up in PWG in 2013. Was that really a long time? No. It felt like a long time then, though. I was like, oh, my God, this guy. Um, so, yeah, kicks ass. Um, and then, yeah, just stomps through the indies, becomes one of the hottest acts on the indies um, while continuing to be in ROH. The TV title run in ROH, obviously, is kind of the standout thing. With He was just like this insane ball of energy having these kick-ass matches. Um, badass feud with Michael Elgin. I, I really, really thought that those two like clicked. I don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah they go, like, even now, I feel like those, those matches are still really good. Yeah, so just solid stuff all around. And then, yeah, like I said, once he gets into to NXT, I mean, he's right there with Gargano all the way through. But then he's got that championship run with, uh, with the character and the work that I just think was, like, some of the most, like, I don't know, some of the, like, best high-level 
character work stuff that I've ever seen. I mean, he's at that next level of just like being insane. That his heel title run was like next level, like some of the best stuff that I've ever seen. So to me, I mean, he just he had a kick ass year from beginning to end just because, like I said, the indie work and that, all that stuff I, I, I was in love with the second the first time I fucking saw him. And he's changed so much over the times. All this and that, but I, the consistency has been that I've always fucking loved his just intensity, the snap, the crispness, everything <laughs> about him. And I don't know, if I've, I've, it's probably been a while since I've mentioned this on the podcast, but he fucking knocked my wife on her ass. <laughs> like, she was, it was like maybe the second, first or second time she's ever gone to a wrestling show. And she was just going over to the bar to get something, and she didn't realize that the wrestlers were coming out of the entrance ways. And, uh, she crossed by as he was coming out and he was just a big fucking fiery ball of intensity and energy. So he didn't realize that there was a person in the way. So as he pops through the curtain, he just knocks her on her ass and <sighs> continues going. And I mean, I felt awkward cause I was like, Oh shit, I'm going to keep cheering that guy that just knocked my wife down. This is weird. Hopefully she doesn't get mad, but it was like, there was no question. I was going to love this guy no matter what. <laughs> I don't know that there's a lot of wrestlers that people can literally say that they can hit, they could hit your wife and you still love them. But Tommaso Ciampa is that guy for me. He literally hit my wife in front of me. He came and apologized and was very sweet about it. Um, it was like, you know, obviously he was all fired up, but yeah, it was like, it didn't fucking matter, man. I love this guy. I'm going to always love this guy. I just think so great. He's slowing down. He's been injured a bunch. He can't quite wrestle like he used to, but still got that intensity, that crispness, that violence, the, the just he comes across aggressive no matter what, and he can turn it on in a second. I love that too. He just switches. He can go from from like zero to a hundred in a second. And it's just I mean, phenomenal stuff. So Champa, I think he had a great decade. I think uh yeah, phenomenal phenomenal wrestler. All right. Um number thirty four. Based off the tri- based off the trends that you've had so far, I can't imagine he's on your list. So my number thirty four is Sami Zayn. Uh, Sami Zayn, Sami Zayn, Sami Zayn, Sami Zayn. Oh, um, yeah, he's on my list. Really? Okay, cool. Uh, much higher. Much much higher. All right, that's that's great. I just I wouldn't I wouldn't even share like based off other stuff. I wouldn't even sure you you would have had him. So that's that's good to hear. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it took me a second. You know, I was thinking Sammy Callahan. Oh wait, um. Number 34 for me. Ugh, you may not have him, I don't think. Kyle O'Reilly. A little bit higher. We'll talk we'll talk we'll talk we'll talk, we'll okay. talk about him soon. All right. Shit. Cool. cool. All right. 33. Uh no you don't have Yoshirai. No. Yeah. Don't have. Him. Uh Yoshirai at her best is maybe the best wrestler in the world. And like, there's not much to say there, because, like, you look at, like, the early parts of the decade, like, EO really isn't around much. He isn't, like, given a big platform, again, really given, like, these big platforms. He's still kind of new, and once she gets that push, it's, like, kind of 2014, 2015-ish. But once she's given the ball, EO Shirai just scores every single time. There is never a dull moment, never a letdown, never anything where it feels like it's overrated, like it didn't land. Io Shirai, fucking everything. Yoko Bito, Viper, um, God, God damn, Shayna, Shayna Baszler, Momo, Momo Watanabe, Mayu Watani, Tony Storm, Michael Satamora, uh, 
Kyrie Kyrie Hojo, uh, fucking whoever they decided to bring in, god damn it, it worked. It was always good. It was gonna work because Io Shirai is incredible. And as a babyface, she's great. And then when she turns heel in, in December 2016, she just takes that next level. Uh, the Mayu the Iwatani match from December 2016, one of the very best matches of the decade. Going to do super well for me, uh, come top 100 time. And another one that's going to do super, super well for me, top 100 time, the first Momo Watanabe match. That first one, fucking incredible genius masterclass work just fucking incredible and eo hits like that all the time it's not a thing where as if like it's inconsistent that's a constant thing for her once she gets that push she leaves okay fine but like she still delivers the eo shirai versus rhea ripley match from uh from from the from the may young classic Great match, the first great, the first great Rhea Ripley match. Still, maybe the best, the best match she's had. If you, if you, if you want, if you want to talk about it, um, the Shayna Baszler stuff, uh, for for some people was disappointing. Uh, the cage match was fantastic. The Shayna versus the Shayna versus EO cage match was really awesome. You transition that into EO turning heel, and then you get the EO survivors can the EO survivors Candice LeRae stuff that that lands, and. EO had a rough go of it at first at NXT because I feel like, you know, it's just a thing that always happens to people that when they're these hyped up debuts, they always have to turn heel first before they get liked. And EO had to turn heel, act all crazy, have the dubstep music, and then go out, then go out there and have the great matches before people liked her. And then EO was too good to deny, turn her back baby face after, uh, turn her back baby face eventually, and she's been fine ever since. But EO Shirai just... Get give her the ball and get the fuck out the way. That's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty much all it is. Get, get let her do what she has to do, and you are going to have a slam dunk, surefire, great match star in your company. And maybe the twenty twenties are going to be more of her decade. Uh, we'll see if she moves up to the main roster. Because I think Io Shirai, like again, yeah, she is just different compared to everybody else. There's no one that can do what Yoshirai does. So for as much as I might like the Baileys, the Oscars, the, the, the Sasha Banks, the Charlottes, uh, even Ember Moon, and whoever else they have, no one's Yoshirai. And I think as long as they just do what I said, give her the ball, get the fuck out the way, Yoshirai, it's impossible for her to fail. And for the work that, she, that and for the and for the major work that she did do during the during twenty tens. She knocked it out the park. Yeah, I mean, duh. All of that is 100% correct. Um, my number 33, based on recent um, factors, I think you might have higher, but we'll see. Roderick Strong. Yeah, I, I do have Roderick Strong higher. Okay. All right. My number 32 is Ricochet. I have him higher. All right. My number 32 is, I know that you already had him, Akira Tozawa. And I had Akira Tozawa down at 49. Okay. 
Yeah, so uh, obviously I talked about it, but I mean, I was just in love with Tozawa. And you have to keep in mind that like Tozawa started out the 2010s with the PWG stuff. I mean, that stuff already was happening in the beginning of the decade, like the very beginning. So it's kind of like from the beginning of the decade, I was like into this guy and completely invested in him. Um, as soon as he shows up there, I mean, he's just, I mean, the, the stuff he did was fucking great. Like, so cool. Instantly love him. Um, his excursion, I mean, God, I don't know. Like, maybe it's only the modern era because there is some, like, older guys who did a lot of really cool stuff. But, like, for the modern era, for the, like, kind of 2000s, like, he has the most fruitful excursion of any wrestler I can think of. Maybe Hiromu comes close with... But Hiromu really, I mean, his excursion's good, but it's really just the Dragon Lee feud, right? Like, if you really think about it, is there much more, would you say? Like, is Hiromu's excursion definitely better than Akira's? Uh, no. I, I guess the exception would be, like, I really like the Maximo Sexy match. That's his, uh, that's, like, the uh, Apoistus okay. match. But other than that, yeah, it's really just the Dragon Lee matches. Yeah, and it's like Tozawa has, like, all of the single stuff, the tag team stuff... PWG um, stuff in the UK like I don't know his excursion was fucking phenomenal this guy just like so much personality it's almost sad that it took it felt like it took so long for him to get to show that off in Dragon Gate when he gets back home yeah, because he, get, he almost yeah, doesn't Shima fucking hated him <laughs> yeah exactly which is like it's the fucking saddest thing this guy is so good um, like just snake bitten basically in his home promotion because even the dragon gate usa stuff he's got some great matches in there so it's just like the only place that he doesn't really ever get to show off as much as he should is his home promotion that he spends most of his time in um so yeah he's got like kick-ass matches most suzuki in in um in dg usa the el generico match obviously is phenomenal like the um brave gate run i fucking loved like i thought he was so good the um he had a big title challenge i can't remember if it was like right before he left um but there was a big uh um freedom gate no not freedom gate um dream gate title match that had like just i think it was against shingo um or yeah yeah that had like a bunch of really cool like build up and everything and it was just the match itself was really good um just yeah i mean always great the monster express stuff obviously um i loved a lot because i was a big fan of like ricochet and uha nation and it's his best buddies um so all of that was really good so like yeah i mean just just from the beginning so much personality phenomenal wrestler like he's a guy who could probably get away with just the personality and being fun and funny but just like he kills himself out there every fucking match would go nuts like not so much towards the end especially in dragon gate was he really having those kinds of matches but when he gets a chance he loved to just I, 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 I would just, like, i would disagree i would throw. disagree like to me like and i know i'm mean, i know someone that like likes certain stuff more than others but like that yamato Dreamgate match i love that match i thought i think yeah i yeah. think i think that match is great and then that uh uh captain captain's falls uh Unit disbandment match versus with Monster Express versus Berserk, and I think I think that's again a phenomenal match, one of the best matches of that year. Yeah, yeah, no, I meant just the style. Yeah, yeah, okay. In Dragon Gate, he didn't wrestle as hard hitting, like 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 insane fucking Germans and like getting 
bumped on his head and stuff as much. Right. Like, yeah, it's all I meant. But yeah, no, he's definitely still a great worker. No, I just meant like he kind of toned down the like uh, violent, like hard hitting stuff. But Quentin, give your uh, give your take on on Tozawa here. Um, he's a, my my favorite wrestler of all time. I absolutely adore Tozawa, even before the excursion. Like what we have of Tozawa that exists, but from before then, he's still good. He's a talented guy. Just again, wasn't very well liked politically, but he's someone that that excursion is legendary just for the context behind it. Like. He had to do that, or else I'm not sure that anything else would have worked. Like, him being so beloved and being such a fucking hit in, in, in the States really saved his career. Like, really saved his career. So by the time he went back to Dragon Gate, there was no question that this guy is ready, this guy is good, there's no more fucking around here. People forget Akira Tozawa when he first came back as a heel. Everyone thinks of him as like this lovable plucky baby face. When he first came back, Tazawa was a mean, dastardly, evil motherfucker. <laughs> he is like he like he is really good at it too. Um and a lot of a lot of, a lot of that stuff, again, like produced great matches. Produced really produced really good stuff. And Tazawa, when he gets going, people talk about Yoshino being fast. I'm not sure Tazawa is is, is that is that far behind? Tazawa, when he gets going, is a different is a different gear that a lot of people just can't hit. And then we and then he turns face, and then we get like the lovable monstrous breast guy that like we all kind of know him as. But there is a good six year stretch where Tazawa is just touching gold every time he's every time he's out there, whether that, whether it's tag whether it's tag team trio. Big multi-man tags, singles, whatever. Tazawa is just a gold mine of great shit every single time, every single time he went out there. To the point where, yeah, it was frustrating for us as Western fans. Like, why the fuck would they just not give him the Dreamgate belt? Why will they just not do it? Why did they choose to do Yamato that be the, to be the guy to, to dethrone Shingo instead of Tazawa when, it, when that's the story that made sense from the jump? We'll never know. We never got it. Everything that Tazawa gave us from 2010 to 2016, the guy hit on a ridiculous level. And, you know, it sucks because I want to see more of him. I would like to see him, you know, have, be in a position to have better matches or what I would deem to be better matches. But the six years that we got from, that we got from him, the dude was a world-class wrestler in every sense of the word. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, he hasn't done a ton in WWE, but he's definitely like got to show off his personality that everyone knows and loves doing the like the the comedy stuff, but it does I don't I do not get why they don't just fucking let him wrestle. <laughs> like it's so weird that you can't just let this guy wrestle. But Look at the wrestlers they have on their roster that they just refuse to let wrestle sometimes. <laughs> like they have, like they have Leo Rush and then just like, "Nah, you're a manager." <laughs> yeah, exactly. What the fuck are you doing? Oh, Tozawa versus Leo Rush. Imagine how good that would be. All right. Um, my number 31. You mentioned him earlier. Uh, skip ahead if you may, if you must. My number 31 is David Starr. Okay. Um, he 
had a lot of good matches from 2015 to 2019. He had, he was really he rapidly improved. He was a guy that I wasn't a really big fan of uh, when we were first seeing him, when we were first seeing the Juicy product. But as time goes on, I think the, the match that like really started to change my mind on him, I think, was the Jimmy Rave match in AWE. Um... And since then, he's a guy. He he was a guy that worked to, to improve constantly, and every year he was getting better, and kind of like finding himself within wrestling. I've talked about I talked about it before how I felt like David Starr was like an amalgamation of like all the all of like everybody from the 2010s that was trendy and popular, and I felt like that was true up until David really felt, felt, felt like he started to find himself. As a performer, uh, the Walter stuff speaks for itself. The J- the J- the jam the JML work, um, like it didn't 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 last as long. But that stuff that we got in the world in the World Tag League was really good and 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 resulted in that in that great leader leaders versus JML, JML World Tag World Tag League final. The stuff with the shotgun, the stuff with the shotgun title. Um, eventually, what we get with him in AEW and traveling all over the world, he became the indie guy all over the world. Really, like the last indie guy, really. Um, and it's weird to say because, like, there's some people now like they'll make them like AJ Gray will go and make the rounds and work the BLP, the GCW, and SUP and work with, and work wherever else, but. David Starr, up you know before you know, because like the pandemic changed everything. David Starr was that last guy, and now that kind of thing is over now, and he touched everywhere, made an impact everywhere, had his fingerprints on every on like almost every promotion, like you know, you know, except except for except for Evolve, and. <laughs> you know, there's nothing, there's nothing really to uh, to say there. A guy that for the last, like you know, from 2015 up until 2019, if you like liked him before then, uh, you know, I get, I get, like I guess like I could see someone liking Juicy Product or liking the JT Dunn feud or whatever. But from from that point on, he's a guy that constantly improved and constantly got better. Had the best feud, had a lot of the best feuds. And just got to the point where you could argue that like 2018 and 2019, he was the best wrestler of the year. If you wanted to say 2017, I wouldn't argue with you. And there aren't a lot of guys in which you could say that about. Is David Starr lower? Because I don't really feel entirely comfortable with him higher. Maybe I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not like you know. I feel like. I'll explain my stance on this stuff pretty well. And I'm not sure that has anything to do with that. I'm not sure if it's purely just like, you know, how the list shook out for me. But uh, I, I think that's I think that's all I got on David Starr. Yeah. I had David Starr at 37. And I will be honest that up until we started recording, I had David Starr in the top 20s. So just like you said, is he lower? Because personally, I didn't really want to talk about him that much. Kind of. That's kind of part of it. Um... But, I mean, fuck. It's not as if we... I haven't gone on here and rant and raved about just terrible people in the past, right? Um, So what are you going to do? It's going to happen. Um, 
I, for one, was not like that turned off by the juicy product. I actually, I won't say I liked it or loved it, but I actually like was fine with juicy product stuff. Um, I thought that their act was interesting enough. They had, they had something I could tell they had something, you know, there was some charisma there. There was some effort. There was some flash. There was some showmanship. So I was kind of like, okay, you know, it seemed like JT Dunn was the star of the group, which was seemed weird, but David really didn't show a lot of personality early on at that point. So it was kind of like, makes sense when you look back on it it seems to make no fucking sense but at the time it did oh okay you know this this jt dunn guy and he's got a tag team partner they do some stuff but then i start seeing david star showing up and i think for me i can't remember what match you said was the one that was the 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 what changed your opinion on i i I, I said said the jimmy the jimmy rave match from awe jimmy rave match awe for me it was the actually a matt riddle match um I can't even remember what company it was at this point, but uh, I saw him wrestle Matt Riddle, and it was like, oh, was it was a C- was a CZW? Can... No, no, it was it was before that. It was uh, Legacy Wrestling, okay, Dangerous Encounters, okay, 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 in Philadelphia. This is, uh, I think, I had to buy this match just by itself off of like some website because this was at the time. You talked about Riddle. There was a time where I was going out of my way to make sure that I saw every Matt Riddle match. Um, for like the per first, like three years of his career, I saw every one of his matches. Um, even if I had to like pay to buy that one, which I did, I had to buy just that match a la carte from like someone's Facebook page or some shit. And, uh, a match ruled. And I was like, oh, and I started saying and like, and I think even David Starr kind of put it out there. Like I should be getting booked in these fucking shoot, shoot, you know, what do they call it? Grapple fuck matches. I should be getting... In those kind of, because I can do this stuff, and it's kind of, huh, this is like 2015, I think it was, yeah. Because um, I bought that, and I bought Matt Riddle versus Dalton Castle from the same company. Um, and uh, the David Starr match is better, FYI, if anyone cares. But Dalton Castle is also like a, has some amateur wrestling. It's not, it was not a bad match. They were both worth it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was like, oh, this guy can, this guy can go when it comes to this stuff. So it was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, we'll see what happens. I <laughs> did not predict what would happen, which is that he becomes, like you said, the last internationally globe-trotting indie wrestling superhero. Um, the guy who puts, like, the WXW shotgun title belt on the map, defending it all over the world. Um, the guy who becomes, yeah, the biggest star on multiple continents. Like... The guy who was the second banana <laughs> to JT Dunn. The guy who was like, oh, this stupid little tag team. They had a decent match with the Young Bucks, and they've got some kind of gimmick to them. And then meanwhile, you turn into, like, JT Dunn is is trying to knock off Chris Hero, and he he, 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 he does this knock off Chris Hero act so good that he gets to end up tagging you know, with him. You know what happened? You know what I, know what I forgot happened? And I was going through, like, old Beyond results. Did you know that yeah, somehow yeah. Drew... Let fucking JT Dunn go to a double knockout with Chris Hero. <laughs> yes, this is what set. That's what set up the the shitty tag. Like, what team. the fuck? <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. He was uh, the new knockout kid, right? And and the whole thing. It was like insane. That was a really weird time period. But while all that was happening, and there was a little bit of buzz about JT Dunn, David Starr was racking up this like credibility, this believability, this. 
I don't know, just putting the the, the miles on the tread, going out there and busting his just ass. Put, just put it, just put it, yeah, just, just putting into work to people till people noticed, and then like, yeah, you know, the first thing really was like the like the Walter stuff, and then uh, like the one of the Walter matches from Shotgun TV, and then just like things just kept going and going from there. And I said like to me like like the JML uh, World Tag Team League was like to solidify okay i like david star now like i really enjoy i really enjoy i really enjoy this stuff because after that then that goes into uh 2017 and that get and that get and that gets in the uh like the dead end tag uh with uh you know massive product versus versus ring comp and all this other stuff like by then he's already he's, he's already he had already won me over he had already won me over by that point so like i said like yeah. from 2015 in the AWE, like he was like, you know, he's trying to change my mind a little bit. And then by the end of 20, then by October 2016, it was like, okay, yeah, like I like David Starr now. Right, and then it turns, yeah, it turns into, um, it turns into like this is, I guess this is a guy, <laughs> you know, and it's very weird to think about because it did feel like, um, uh, you know, like. Like, oh, you know, this guy's got no personality, really. You kind of uh, a knockoff of, like, you know, uh, Gargano and Steen and right. Cole and those kind of guys. Yeah, just some, just nothing happening, middle of the road, whatever kind of guy. And then, yeah, he becomes, like, the biggest star in wrestling. He does, like, this transcendent promo battle thing with, with Dev- Devlin that becomes, like, one of the most important things in wrestling for like a week everyone's talking about it and the match and everything that happens um so yeah i mean just what what more is there to say other than like this guy is a fucking criminal he's a disgusting piece of shit and like it seems as though he put as much effort into like his wrestling and and becoming great as he did into taking advantage of and being really fucking terrible to women and uh, that fucking sucks to find out that, like, sometimes the same kind of mental, I guess, to, for lack of a better word, like, illness, derangement that causes you to be so singularly focused on trying to become the best wrestler or the best whatever it is, really, can also then lead you to be becoming, like, a, a shitty person. And that sucks. That really sucks. But sometimes it's true. Uh, was that your 31? Oh, sorry. Yeah, that was my 31. I was like, yeah, like, you know... Again, if anyone doesn't have uh, Star or Riddle or Osprey as guys that like have been mentioned uh, on this list already, or even um, you know someone like AJ Styles who will be coming who will be coming up on my list later, like again, totally get it, totally understand the line of what you are drawing in the sand, and which it, which is uh, you know, in which in what you were able to stomach. Um, and like yeah, like, I'm I'm not sure. I'm like maybe that that stuff did influence me because David Starr's at 31, and he's a guy that did win a wrestler of the year for me, and has been top 10. So like theoretically, he he's a guy that should be higher based off like the accolades in which I've given him. But like, I guess this is where uh, I guess this is where things felt right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and who knows? I mean, you know, whatever. Whatever, who knows if that's right or not. We're making a list of wrestlers. It's going to be... Stuff like this is going to happen. Uh, 31 for me. I 
I think you might have him higher. I can't imagine he's not on your list, but we'll see. Jay White. No, no, uh, too, too, too. I would say too soon for me. Too okay. soon for me for Jay. Okay. I got. I. I get you. I get you. My thing is, I do definitely put a pretty high premium on his young lion work, and I. So I think that that gives him a pretty solid base for having like, you know. Four or five years, which is almost the full decade, basically. But I think that from as soon as he shows up in New Japan, uh, he was phenomenal. I mean, he's just so good as even as a young lion working basic matches. But I mean, everything was fucking worthwhile. There was there was a run there, man, where the young lion stuff in New Japan was like worth watching. And I think a little bit after that, like it's not terrible now. It's definitely good, but it's not as good as it was. Um, but yeah, and he was like one of the tail end of like the last few Young Lions that were really, really worth watching. So I thought that the Young Lion stuff, phenomenal. Then he goes on excursion. He's this phenomenal baby face. Anywhere that he gets to wrestle, he luckily, like his excursion was was like not terrible. He had like a, still a good amount of matches. Um, for most of his excursion, he came pretty close to still having like a hundred. Very, very, pr- very year, protected so. too. Like he didn't get, he didn't, yeah. he didn't have to get involved with bullshit. Like you know, like uh, no. Like like show like show and yo did like he was actually taking he was actually taken care of in like and yeah. I think that always showed when people like were surprised at the push of which he got when he came back if you just look at his excursion like he was given a few with Jay Briscoe and which he was going like fifty fifty with him yeah yeah and and he they didn't give him any bullshit like he didn't really have any gimmick he just kind of was still Jay White and they just he was just wearing white gear instead of black gear basically. Um, yeah, and let, and, and so let's yeah, not that, forget like who conveniently they wind up having as his mentor is like Alex Shelley who they already had a relationship with. Right, exactly. So he was kind of set. He was already good, but yeah, spending that time in training with Alex Shelley definitely did not hurt. Um just this phenomenal baby face you can definitely get behind, clean cut, high flyer. You know, great action. Anytime, like you said, he just shows up at random places because his excursion was a little all over the place. And, like, he showed up at PWG. I got to see him live. He was great. Like, any place he showed up, he'd just, like, like you said, just be whatever and just have, like, a kick-ass match and not, like, really be bogged down in anything weird and then get out of there. Um, so that definitely probably helped him kind of uh, kind of get uh, kind of get some, some feet underneath him to then show up back in new japan and i mean some people didn't like his first few matches or whatever but as far as i'm concerned he basically hit the ground running um i thought that it took him a little bit to maybe completely get to where now he's the greatest heel in all of wrestling but uh it's not like he started out bad it just not everyone's gonna start out their first time being a heel after being this really great babyface and become like the greatest heel of all time but he figured it out after a couple years didn't take too long and, uh, yeah, now he is, hands down, without a doubt, the best heel in all of wrestling, I think. Um, 2020 has obviously been a weird year, so it's hard to say stuff like that still. But uh, it's hard to also argue with it. Um, I love how much people like to talk about ELP, but I'm like, ELP barely does, like, a knockoff Jay White. And they're like, oh, he's such a good heel, and people don't like him because he's a heel. I'm just like, no, people don't like him because he's kind of a jack-off. <laughs> like, a lot of people from his scene from where he's from don't really like him and that has nothing to do with his wrestling character um so you know whatever but yeah i just think uh jay white phenomenal like from the second he shows up in new japan 
which is like yeah 2015 all the way until like 2020 until modern day right now until the tokyo dome which i did not see unfortunately right i think as soon as we're done i'm gonna pop over and check out this to see uh, him win the double championship from kota abushi i'm very excited for that um yeah i just i, I think that this guy has been the, one of the most important acts in the second biggest company in the world best heel in wrestling um he's been doing that for a couple years now and then on top of that just like this really fun baby face who had really solid good matches the whole way through so you know that that get, that's what gets him on the list i'm kind of i'm a little bit surprised you didn't have him but i also get where you're coming from because i can definitely see why he doesn't quite have that much there but i think that uh, yeah like yeah quality yeah you, de- you, de- you definitely took the like the young lion stuff into consideration more than i did which is very fair because i think he was a really really good young lion a very impactful young lion that you know again from the jump he was awesome um and i guess i guess, I guess before we get out of here is like what like what like how much because i remember you doing the top 100 for G- gwe with pete and like you having like you know modern guys at the time that you felt like you know were kind of like you know you know putting something in the piggy bank so like you can say that like you know you were on you were on that earlier than a lot, than a lot of people were yeah yeah is, is it is it the same thing here with Jay or is it more of a genuine no like even if it's a smaller sample size or a little, a little bit weird of a sample size compared to other people you really think Jay belongs in the top fifty kind of thing I definitely think that he does but I also do think that he is going to continue to deliver. You know, so I think it's a little bit of both, but like, I do think, I do know that like for the people that I had on like the bottom end of my ballot, I got, I got burned a little. I won't lie. There's some people on there like Will Ospreay who didn't even end up, you know, he's on my list, but barely. Um, and he was on my 100, you know, like Tommy and stuff like that. But there are also some people there that were on that bottom of the list who are going to end up really high on this list, you know, um, when we, when we get through this. So it's kind of like, okay. It's it's a it's a definitely a trade off there, but I I think I learned my lesson a little bit. I was trying to be a little bit less frivolous. So no, this is not someone who I think that like is all is there's like a large percentage of this is speculation. Like I definitely think that it's there with Jay White. You can you have, I think you have the samples to see that in 2010 he was great. I mean he was fucking phenomenal. And like, sure he's only got maybe two years of being like I said at the top of the heap. But everything underneath that was really solid and completely different. Like I said, babyface stuff, but really good. So it's just like, okay, sure. He's got like four years, three years of being a phenomenal babyface. And then two years of being the greatest heel in all of wrestling. I think that that's, that makes a decade for me at least. All right. I can't, I can't really argue. Honestly. Like I said, like the young lion work really is great. And like a lot of time I get, a lot of time I guess brushed off for like, Sometimes I feel like even like it's like a, like with like Show Tanaka and like definitely here we're here with Jay like sometimes that young lion stuff really can transcend into more into like hey no not no he's not just good for a young lion he's a really good worker in general right I mean fuck his like I was saying his excursion run was like as good as like an indie wrestler that would get flown all around I mean he went all around the world on his indie run so it's like yeah I mean fuck like I think that he would have got booked anyways I think the promotions were probably begging to have him let alone like that he was on excursion. So, you know, I think that that, that speaks to that as well. But that's, that, that that's uh, the stuff we're going to be hit. We're going to be hitting tonight, uh, leaving off here at hour 31 and we'll be picking up 
on the next installment doing 30 to 10. Um, any, 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 final, any, any final words, Timothy, before we get out of here? Oh, no, no. Just, again, thank you, Quentin, for having me on your podcast. All right. And we'll be doing this again another three hours, uh, I guess, <laughs> coming coming up as you guys are probably listening to this. So thank you all for listening and hope you're here next time. You know what love is. You know what love is.